0: Did you already quiz me on The Sopranos? Yep, we okay. do through that. And okay, uh, we started the show with Mike Rowe? Yep. I, mean, I heard uh, Mike Rowe, he was uh, sitting on a lawnmower, gobbling like a turkey for a half an hour. Yes,
1: yes, yes,
0: yes. Alright, let's do it this way. Okay, then we had me ranting and raving right yes how, have you seen david feldman yeah i saw david feldman he was uh, standing on, on the bed of a truck practicing calligraphy okay then we had uh henry no but then we had you uh you had your pre-recorded oh dr arnon Degani. so i got That's that right. wrong mm-hmm. right how is he doing Oh, he was doing great. He was uh, standing in a cockpit throwing water balloons. <laughs> then we had, then we had, Dan Frankenberger's community billboard. Okay. Is that correct? That's true. And that asshole. How, how is? How is Dan Frankenberger? Uh, I was walking through a car wash trying to make friends all day. <laughs> And then we had Henry Huckamaki and. Is it Terry McAllister? Yep. In yes, The Guardian?
2: That's
0: right. True. That's right. Then we had. Uh, oh, and then we had David Cobb. Yes. Right. All right. And then we had. Uh, Will it be the Hershonfels? Yep. Then at seven thirty, John Ross. That is true. Then uh, thank you, thank you. Then <laughs> for eight o'clock, we had Professor Ben Burgess. That is true. Saw him the other day. Yeah, how's he
3: doing? He was. uh
0: He was standing in the batting cages, speaking in tongues for an hour.
4: That was a shit show.
0: Yeah, it was a shit show. You're absolutely right.
2: That was a shit show.
0: Yep. Then, uh okay, you the, won that. By the way, you won. I won what? Uh, you... Oh, the ben argument Burgess. with Ben Burgess. Yeah, you won. It was yeah. pretty clear. It was pretty yeah. clear. Uh, no question about that. Ben Burgess and then the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. Burgess? Yep. Correct. How is the Reverend Barry W. so Well, he was walking around a stationery show. Uh, uh, he's walking around a stationery store uh, rubbing his chin. Then we had the professors and Mary Ann. Is that correct? Yeah. Thank you. That would be uh, Professor Mary Ann Cummings, Professor Adnan Hussein, Professor Jonathan Bick, and Professor Ian Faluna. Yes. How, how's uh, how's Professor Ian Faluna doing? Ooh, he was sitting in a horse stall uh, sniffing a bucket until this um... time. What? I didn't hear the last part. What? He was uh, sitting in a horse stall sniffing a bucket until lunchtime. All right. (laughs) We didn't get to do these for Mike Rowe. Then we had Emil Guillermo. Yep, correct. Now you know Emil Guillermo, don't you? Yeah, I know Emil. How's he doing? Well, the last time I saw him, he was walking around his mother-in-law's house digging a hole. Hang on. Damn it. (laughs) And then we had Texas. Texas (laughs) Tom Weber? (laughs) Yep. wraps it up. Now, let me ask you a question. You mind if I ask you a question? Sure. We just had Tom Weber on the show. How's he doing? I saw him, and he was uh, walking through a strip club, playing billiards for snacks. I like like this one. That's a big crash. I have a funny, uh, oh, uh, you know uh, Davey Mammal? Oh, yeah, I have a joke for Dave. Uh, hey, have you seen He's him? Your, it's your son. I have seen him. He's your son. Yeah, and he was uh, hanging out. Uh, he was standing on a train caboose ironing his unmentionables. Oh. That's a great snack. Unmentionables for kids. Yeah. Oh, no, right. that's unlunchables. So I came up with a Dave. <laughs> the un- <laughs> By the way, I used your fizzle reel joke. Oh, unmentionables. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's just what would unmentionable be? Unmentionables would be like but What 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 is the snack you used to give your kids? Unlunchables or uncrustables? Uncrustables. Yeah, but they're awesome because you pull them out of the freezer and you throw them in the lunchbox, and by the time it's lunchtime, they're thaw. But what Lunchables. what are they called? Unlunchables, What is it? Uncrustables. Yeah, well, that's the joke. But what 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 is the thing we used to give our kids? I'm so tired. Well, here's a I joke for Davey you're Mammel. You're leading me into it, and I don't know what the answer okay. is. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you know the original, the name of our capital originally was? No, what was it? Washington D's nuts. Oh, D's isn't that good, nuts, Davey yeah. Mammel? I'm going to call that on <laughs> Davey Mammel. Washington. There we go. Professor Hamley <laughs> like, <laughs> why isn't she doing the show? Why isn't Washington D's nuts. Um, I I have a... What was the other one? Then my son gave me one. Hang on. Hang on. Oh, okay. Uh, In order to understand what you just said, you need to be familiar with the Segunda principle. Oh, no. You know what the Segunda principle is? hes not do the balls.
2: <laughs>
0: I can't. Rodrigo. is it the, is it the Fremonda principle? The <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Let's keep it. Come on. Washington D's
5: nuts. Did you like that, Rodrigo? There's nice people here. Uh, <laughs> you not know, no, not my taste.
0: Yeah. I came up with that. It, made, it actually made my daughter laugh. It's not my taste. Is the best thing that happened on the show. Yeah. Not your taste. <laughs> oh, you were making a joke. Rodrigo's brilliant. I know, I know. <laughs> and he's speaking. He's like a fourth language. A fourth language. <laughs> he's a factor. <laughs> well, I was going to make a bad taste joke. I won't. <laughs> I hope. I hope English is. isn't your first language. You couldn't. You couldn't top his bad taste joke. Yeah. Rodrigo, what's on your mind?
5: So I have something serious to talk about, but first, um, regarding the people who become suicide bombers. Suicide bombers, yes. Yes. uh, Do you mind if I just do, uh, since we're talking about
0: this, do you mind if I, out of respect I'm going to ask, do you mind if I do rim shots on
5: this? As long as I don't have to say it, sure. Okay, so you're talking about suicide bombers. Yes. Um, okay. Palestine has a 68% youth unemployment rate. Yes. So, uh,
0: I, was, uh,
5: I thought it was 50%. I was going to no, make a joke. It's coming down. They... Sorry. Well, going up up actually... Um, if you don't want uh, people to be easily swayed by into becoming suicide bombers, maybe allow them to get jobs.
0: I think yes. But I, I think yes. suicide. But I think suicide bombing is something a little different. It, it's but I you know it's late in the show, and you're you you're absolutely right and uh, yes
2: uh, yes,
5: did you know that there are people moving from New York to Palestine to displace people from their homes? Did you know that people are doing that? Are you talking about people who are settling in the West Bank? Jewish settlers? From New York? Yes. I don't understand. New York's gain is the West Bank's
2: loss.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I slate in the... uh, uh, Yes, there are religious zealots who think that Uh, The West Bank is greater Israel, and they have no intention to share it with anybody, and that's the question that has to be asked in the conversation of Jews and Israelis. Do you want all of the West Bank? Did you ever intend to give it up, or do you believe that it's uh, a Judea... You know, they believe it's Judea from... You know the Bible, and they, they're some of them are dishonest. The ones who are settling, they they want the entire West Bank.
5: And the thing I wanted to talk about, uh, I don't know if you've heard that there are people arguing about price, the. Is that what? Pride. Pride?
0: Pride. Pride? Like police officers marching in the, in the gay pride,
5: the LGBTQ pride parade, is that what you mean? No, that uh, there are people on the internet saying that the main pride event should be family-friendly even though there are family-friendly events almost everywhere that there is pride, uh, they think that people should uh, keep BDSM and KING out of the pride parade and This is a long-standing issue, but there are new people saying... How about family-friendly BDSM? Is there such a thing? Yes, Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyway, there are people who... want to... you know the people who go to pride have been well how, how about this the how house? about how about we instead of
0: bdsm we just allow the police back into the parade and they'll you know be some bdsm afterwards you that's a bad taste i apologize that's it. you you know what i'm going to say something that i'm going to regret i think i have already uh, everything right now is a joke, because I'm, I'm like loopy, and I don't want to end up making bad jokes. I, again. Because Wait,
5: of... when do you do good jokes?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show. <laughs> We're going to end on that, Rodrigo. Thank you. That was great. That was great. Okay, thank you, Dan Frankenberger. Hey, office hours tonight Tonight at 8 p.m. I will be holding court for the first half hour to take your questions, and then we turn it over to Lane in the fast lane, and then it just goes till I don't know, 2 in the morning. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com and hit office hours. It will take you to the office hours link. This Saturday night, it's our very last COVID Town Squares with Henry Huckamaki and the Irritable Immunologist. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com and hit the pay-per-view button, and it'll take you to our Eventbrite page, or just go to Eventbrite and look up uh, you look up uh, COVID Town Squares. I think uh, while you're over at the David Feldman Show. Website. Sign up for my newsletter. Thank you all for coming in the Zoom room. I appreciate it. If you would like to sit in our virtual studio audience, you can sign up at my website. I'm David Feldman. Remember to stay strong and protect the weak.
4: It's time right now. Of the David Settlement Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. Now tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an anti Moore writing. Some day he's mad and he feels like
2: fighting. <laughs>
4: it's time right now for the day the show to get your ears on right buckle in real tight he's got a lot to say and he's coming your way All right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. you has got a lot to say and he's coming your way. you has got a lot to say and he's coming
2: your
0: way. And <laughs> Now, some bonus material. Take it away, Senator Susan Collins.
4: Right now, off the stage of show. He's talking politics, he comedies you. To tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. To. He's a union man, with an handy right. Sometimes he's mad and he feels like fighting.
2: Ah.
4: Time right now, both the days of telling the show to get your ears off right, buckling real tight. You've got a lot to say, and you coming your way.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: To say, and coming your way. You got a lot to say, and come your way. You got a lot to say, and come your way.
0: Welcome to the mop up for November twenty second. 2021. I'm David Feldman coming to you from an air shaft overlooking a parking garage somewhere in New York City where the temperature is 62 degrees. They say it's partly cloudy. I would have no idea. Coming up on today's show, we have director, comedy writer, and comedian Judd Apatow. Director, comedy writer, and comedian. Robert Smigel, comedy writer, comedian, and actor. Greg Fitzsimmons, and that's just the, the beginning of, of our Thanksgiving, our pre-Thanksgiving spectacular. Welcome to the mop-up for November 22nd. Is it really November 22nd? I did an interview with Mort Saul about the Kennedy assassination. He passed away this year, about a month ago, Mort and if you want to hear a really interesting conversation about the Kennedy assassination, go to davidfeldmanshow.com and listen to the extended interview with Mort Saul that I did about five years ago about stand-up and the Kennedy assassination. Well, there's been a lot of assassinations going on in this country of ours. Kyle Rittenhouse, since the last time we met... Was acquitted. What a, what a brave young man. Isn't he, Kyle kind of Rittenhouse? Very emotionally stable young man. He really holds up great in high pressure situations. I, I certainly hope that after he does his Tucker Carlson interview, he plans to go back to Kenosha, Wisconsin, and self deputize once again to patrol our nation's streets and, and keep us safe from people like him this this is the guy i want the 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 child with an ar15 written house in the heat in the fog of battle he trips he falls down then as he's down on the ground he fires at two people this pathetic coward claims he was standing his ground he wasn't even standing up how can you stand your ground if you're lying on it and this is just the, the future of our country. My advice to you is get some Google glasses or Oculus and live in a virtual world because this this is where there are going to be thousands and thousands more Roger Rittenhouse, Roger Kyle Rittenhouse. Roger Rittenhouse is the great comedian. Kyle Rittenhouse is the joke. How do we get more AR-15s into the hands of of highly emotional virgins like Kyle Rittenhouse. This is what makes America safe, giving AR-15s to incels. What what could possibly go wrong? Well, you know what? I'm an optimist. I, I thought the jury missed missed it by a mile, but I'm an optimist. Don't feel bad, folks. I believe we will convict... Kyle Rittenhouse after his next shooting. I'm optimistic. I think we I think we can get him on, on the next shooting. Meanwhile, uh, the judge in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial uh, has ordered the city of Kenosha to reimburse Rittenhouse for the bullets. That's how bad that judge is. And all I can say is Kyle Rittenhouse makes me ashamed to call myself an emotionally unstable menace to the community. Well, there's been looting going on in California. There was looting in Walnut Creek, California. They went... uh, they broke into a nordstrom's and then in, in san francisco union square they broke into a louis vuitton and, and looted that you know even lo- even looting a louis vuitton store is a complete rip-off you're still getting ripped off at louis vuitton just stealing from uh, from louis vuitton I wonder why people are looting. It's not like there's this vast disparity of wealth in America. Why, why would people be driving up in hordes and going after department stores that service the richest 1%? What could possibly be pissing people off? I, I have no idea. You know, I saw the cops in San Francisco going after the looters. And uh, the looting that's going on at Louis Vuitton and Nordstrom is nothing compared to the looting of Toys R Us that Mitt Romney's Bain Capital did. I mean, I wish the police went after private equity for looting Toys R Us and all these other department stores. No, they go after the low-hanging fruit, the people who are taking the dresses and shirts and handbags that are already insured. It's not like Louis Vuitton and Nordstrom are going to lose any money. They have insurance. This is what they do. That's their business model is looting their stores. They either steal it themselves or they hire private equity to come in and load the store up with debt. That has to be serviced and they pay all the executives exorbitant fees to keep their mouths shut they literally loot these department stores private equity that's how bank capital made its billions by looting department stores like Toys or us or macy's all these department or the gap all these department stores that go out of business have been looted by private equity but the police can't wait to, to you know threaten to shoot People who are stealing a handbag. Well, there was an accidental discharge this past weekend inside Atlanta's airport. A, uh, A passenger's gun accidentally discharged over the weekend inside Atlanta's airport, creating panic and halting flights until TSA agents could be certain the man wasn't carrying a box cutter. You do realize that you can be on a no-fly list in America. You could be, you know, targeted as a terrorist in America and not allowed to fly, but buying a gun? Can't put a terrorist who's on a no-fly list or a potential terrorist on a no-fly list. You can't forbid them from buying a gun. I don't know how Atlanta's airport, by the way, gets away with charging what they do for an accidental gun discharge and widespread panic. I had a friend who was at Atlanta's airport over this weekend and he could not believe what Atlanta charged for the accidental gun discharge and widespread panic. Even O'Hare's accidental gun discharge and widespread panic doesn't cost that much. Shame on you Atlanta airport for charging so much for an accidental gun discharge and widespread panic. It's nothing short of obscene. Well, is Greg Fitzsimmons here yet? I'm gonna bring him on in a second. He's not here yet, so I have some words to say about Will Ryan, who we lost over the weekend. Longtime listeners to this show know Will Ryan was an integral part to this podcast when we were doing it out of Los Angeles He was just absolutely a gift to the show. And I will have more to say about Will Ryan in future episodes. He is, he passed away, uh, but he is one of the kindest, most creative and talented people ever to work in Hollywood from music to, to acting, to writing, to performing, to just talking about his lifelong commitment to unions, Medicare for All, and Hollywood preservation. He was a gift to the universe. He he was a one-man Hollywood preservation society. He introduced me to June Foray. She used to come on the show all the time. She was the voice of Natasha on Rocky and Bullwinkle. He was a... An expert on Hollywood architecture he was a a fan of a business that so many people end up getting disgusted by but not Will Ryan he was just the eternal optimist he was a great reader the man remembered everything he read and you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone more righteous which is why most of his career was spent over at Disney we have our quarrels with Disney because of Walt, but you have to you have to pass a certain bar to be loved by the Disney people, and uh, he was loved over at Disney. I'm grateful to have known Will Ryan and grateful that so much of his work lives on for future generations to enjoy again, I'll be playing music that he did for the show and the Cactus County Cowboys will be honoring his memory uh, forever. On a very, very personal note about Will Ryan, to me, he was royalty because among the many parts that he's played, he was the voice of Tigger. He was the voice of Tigger, and uh, he was also the voice of Rabbit, Eeyore, for me... Tigger in the Disney Channel's long-running series *Welcome to Pooh Corner*. He was in the uh, all the the Pooh c- cartoons. Uh, after Paul Winchell passed away, who he was friends with, uh, Paul Winchell was the original voice of Tigger. Uh, Tigger is my favorite cartoon character of all time. Uh, Tigger still makes me want to squeeze my son even tighter uh he won't let me but uh uh, anybody who's ever had a boy or a girl who was out of control at a certain age will uh and it's being out of control is great and that's what tigger teaches parents to you, you if you have a they call them hyperactive there's no such thing as a hyperactive kid tigger it's for parents to understand that children are bouncy, and, you know, anyway, uh, Will Ryan was the voice of Tigger, and uh, so I'll I'll be talking about Will and his body of work uh, in episodes to come. There's so much to remember about Will Ryan, but right now I will remember him uh, as being bouncy, trouncy, flouncy, and pouncy. He was Tigger. Nobody better than Tigger. If you have kids, pay attention to Tigger. It will make you a better parent, I can assure you. Well, is Greg Fitzsimmons here yet? No, he is not. Uh, Okay. It's going to be one of those shows today. I thought Greg was on at 4.15. Why don't we kill some time. Dan, you want to do community billboard with me? I think we might have uh, an hour to kill before judge shows up, unless it's just going to be one of those days we've had them before. Dan, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hey, Dan. Hello. This, this is an example of a show that looks good on paper, but then it's just me, and it's, it's a nightmare. Uh, how was your weekend? Everything one great. I I worked all weekend, I raked leaves. It was was a wholesome weekend. Yeah. How are you? I had a a quiet weekend reading, uh, you know, just hanging out. Why don't we go to YouTube? That was always fun. Let's see if anybody's watching us on YouTube. I think we have an hour to kill. I have a feeling Greg is standing me up because of the time difference. I really do. All right. Let's say hello to the people over at uh, YouTube. See if anybody's watching. We have a couple of people watching us. Hello there, my friends. What would you like Dan and me to talk about? Okay. Uh, do you see anything? I don't see anything. Okay. This was going to be like one. This was going to be the episode for the ages. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, why don't we do this? Why don't I play a bumper? Since Does anybody in the chat room want to talk? Hannah asked, do you want me to email Greg? Yeah. That'd be a question. That would yeah, uh, be a good question. Yeah, that would be a good question. Nobody's raising their hand. We're doing this live. This is what I love most. We have a, a question from Joselito in Estonia Yeah. Greg. But it's for Greg. Oh it's for Greg, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that would be uh well I'll talk about while we're waiting for our guests to show up. I found a quote <laughs> is, is is just stop me any time Greg shows up, okay? Okay, uh, so while we're waiting for somebody to raise their hand in the chat room, thanks a lot, by the way, to the chat room for being here and just watching me hang. Uh, over the weekend, I read something by Stephen Pierce. He's an African-American writer, uh, and he was writing for the Nation magazine this week. We're going to be talking to comedians, I hope, if they show up. I, I, I think we we have Judd. Michael and Greg Fitzsimmons schedules. This is what Stephen Pierce wrote over at The Nation. I read this this weekend. It was about Chappelle. He writes, many comedians of Chappelle's generation see themselves as foot soldiers in a war against cancel culture and political correctness, but they undersell their station and overstate their persecution. Comics air their grievances from the largest platforms in the world, yet in their telling, they are the oppressed and downtrodden ones. Free speech, she goes on to write, really is under attack, but not in comedy clubs. State legislatures are dictating how educators can teach about racism. Banks and credit card companies are punishing sex workers. Social media companies are partnering with nation states to silence dissent. If comics weren't so invested in their own martyrdom, they might have a role in these conflicts. It's kind of interesting. It was an interesting take And I recommend you read this it's written by Stephen Kearse over at The Nation he's an african-american writer who is highly critical not just of Dave Chappelle but the idea that most of what we're seeing in comedy clubs is uh, truth seekers and truth tellers and uh, not so sure that the real free speech issues are being fought on the front lines inside the comedy clubs i was going to ask that of our guests but they seem to have abandoned me there is this free speech issue with comedians and obviously their speech should be protected but the question i always ask is are they making am i making the best use of my speech there's this famous Comedian in Montreal, French-speaking Canadian, Mike Ward, he fought for some reason, he decided to die on this hill, and he won. He fought a 10-year legal battle for the right to make jokes about a disabled child who got famous in Canada. Now, I believe he should be able to tell those jokes on stage, uh, but I've got to tell you, if he made those jokes... On this show, I I would never have him back. And uh, if, let's say, he was working for my company that had nothing to do with show business, I would be well within my First Amendment rights here in America to fire him for saying something that offensive, for making fun of a disabled kid. I, I, I could fire him for that, and that would be my... First Amendment right. So Dave Chappelle fighting for his right to say gender is a fact. Again, he, he has the right to say that on Netflix, unless I'm a majority shareholder of Netflix, in which case I would exercise my First Amendment right to say you're you're fired. Or, or Joe Rogan fighting for his right uh, to inform his uninformed uh that ivermectin prevents covid actually i'm not even sure if i ran spotify i'm not even sure joe rogan has the first amendment right to say ivermectin is uh, a therapeutic or a preventative when it comes to covid uh but joe joe is slippery and i know he he's friends with alex jones and 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 uh, they're both peddling supplements, immunity boosters, and they know how to do it without getting sued. And Rogan knows how to say don't get vaccinated without saying don't get vaccinated. You know, he's gone from being a, a possible Bernie supporter to supporting DeSantis now for president. Well, why would anybody support Ron DeSantis for president other than his anti-vax, anti-mask stance. So people like Alex Jones and Joe Rogan, they know what they're doing. They're slippery. They talk to lawyers so they know how to be an anti-vaxxer without really being an explicit anti-vaxxer. They'll say, you know, we're going to throw the kitchen sink at the the illness and, you know, getting vaccinated uh, is a personal choice while sowing doubt about its safety. So is that protected by the First Amendment? Uh, um, Maybe not. He's within the the margins of legality, but peddling phony cures for COVID is illegal. And that's not a First Amendment issue. It's a public health issue. And there's no slippery slope, the logical fallacy. That i keep hearing from the right the slippery slope if if we're not allowed to question ivermectin if we're not allowed to there we go i was just killing time before you Fist, came fish dogs here fish dogs here uh let me just let me just finish up this worthless thought about ivermectin uh there's a federal trade commission and an fda that enforces people giving out phony cures for diseases that's not a first amendment issue that's not a slippery slope issue if you're peddling phony medical advice the fda and the ftc will shut you down speaking of anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers he's getting up there he is please welcome a man who i use. i use his boner supplements and they they work all the time. They they keep me flaccid so I can concentrate. Please welcome the host of Fit Dog Radio, the Greg Fitzsimmons Show, comedian, Emmy award-winning writer, Greg Fitzsimmons. You're, you're muted. You're muted. You're muted. Unmute. Yeah.
6: Now, can you hear me?
0: Yes, I, I can, sir. Thank you.
6: I um, Somehow you, and when I think about people that have crawled away to the middle in this business, you are among the higher level of those people. <laughs> and yet you were marked as junk in my mail and sent into the the basement.
0: I sent you a picture of my junk. Yes. That's absolutely. the kind of junk mail I send. Yes did you thank you for putting your your jeweler's loop on to insult my junk <laughs> greg fitzsimmons joins us probably one of the best radio and podcasters who's ever done it right
6: oh wow yeah one of thank the best you very much one of the best thank you that's very kind you are i appreciate it yeah i've logged my hours i was one of the I, I got into it early but um you know i don't think i really put the effort into the promoting part of it that I should have early on. And I spent more time just uh, trying to have fun doing it. But there's a lot of of podcasts out there these days. Yes. Looking back,
0: I wish I was more concerned about self-promotion than whether or not you liked me. Right. Exactly. I cared. I wanted you to like me. That's all I cared about.
6: <laughs> and I do, but I don't buy any of your products. I know.
0: It's like, I I, I don't, at this point in my life, I'd rather be uh, a self promoting hack who people hate, except I fill Madison Square Garden. Do you, there's some, all right, I'm going to be, there's some comedians who have specials. I'm not going to mention any names. And I watched them. I'll tell you later. I watched them, and I and I am at a point now where I go, okay, you know, I get it, I get it, I, I get that this is alien to me. But who at Netflix said this? We, we should put this is funny. Like, how would they? Or I mean, even Chappelle, I have problems with what Chappelle Chappelle's still the best one out there. He's funny. He makes like, I, I'm disagreeing with him, but I'm laughing. But there's some people out there who, who, do they know they're not funny? Do you ever ask them, do you ever walk up to them and say, do you know that this is not funny?
6: I get pitched them as a guest on my podcast, and I've tried to have people like that on. But I can't really hide my disdain, my lack of respect, for them, I'd much rather have a Comic on who doesn't have a big following, but who I consider to be funny than a guy who, and I guess people, it'll be great cross promotion. Oh, really? Really? And what about the 50% of my audience that sees me as a sellout? <laughs> who, 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 I mean, sense my boredom and they fucking tune out and they unsubscribe because this guy wants to tell a story. Oh, are you a storyteller? Do you have a voice? A, oh, was one of your parents gay? We talk about that
2: incessantly
6: for an I don't care. He's funny. <laughs> Stop making this a fucking autobiography. It's not a memoir. It's a goddamn stand up show.
2: Right. Oh, that's so
5: great. That's right. You just want to walk
6: back up. Back. Oh, there's like a premium on being confident and laid back in comedy right now that somehow that's entertaining when somebody is just so comfortable. There's this guy and he's he's black and he's gay and he's young. His uh, I'm not even gonna say his name because I don't want to get the blowback, but he's got a huge internet presence. Right. And I have, I worked with him on a TV show. I, I was writing on a show that he was on and I, I'll tell you something. <laughs> if you beat him over the head with sticks for an hour, he couldn't come up with one funny thing to stop the beating.
0: This is like wasabi. You're just clearing out my sinuses right now. There, there, there's a, do you ever feel tempted to walk up to a comedian and say, look, all comedians are damaged, but just because you're damaged, it doesn't make you funny. You're not funny. You're just damaged. Go home. Yeah. You're not yeah. funny. Right. Part of your damage one of the side effects of your damage is a lack of empathy for an audience. <laughs> you don't under... The, but then I look at the audience and they, they like him better than they like me. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I, yeah. I, know, I'm, I'm not, I know I'm unlovable and, and, and you, I represent everything you hate. But at least I made you laugh. Yeah. I know you hate me and you right. feel dirty, but at least I made you laugh. This guy... Well, I guess being loved is more important for some people.
6: Yeah, I I think it's become a career choice. And I think when we started, it wasn't a career. So we didn't choose it. It kind of chose us. And so there was this, like, um, I think we were drawn to it because we were able to say whatever the fuck we wanted. We were able to fill our narcissistic bucket for, for an hour. And so it turned into a career. But now it's become this thing because Netflix propagates these these monologues, these fucking these self-explorations that young people see that, and they go, "Oh yeah, I'm that too. I should do this career. I have right. a resume for this career because my father hit me. And he hit you because you weren't <laughs> I don't hit you.
0: father had standards.
2: <laughs>
0: uh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, COVID, I haven't... I guess we did a show at the height of COVID. I think we did it earlier this year. I think so. And you were on the road. I think you were playing Arizona, right? Didn't you go to Tempe? Yeah. I did. I went to Tempe. But then you started... Then you were going to cancel. You you didn't like... What has your road work been like?
6: Uh, Well, I'm back now. And now it seems like nobody even thinks about it. Like, nobody's wearing a mask. Have you ever noticed that the people that most don't want to wear masks are the ones you most want to put a fucking mask on? (laughs) (laughs) Just so you can't see their sneers and their fucking self-righteous looks on their faces just negate that (laughs) Um, so there's nobody wearing masks and they're all laughing in your direction and there's a ton of vapor in the air and somehow i have not caught covid and i've been doing dates for the last year
0: right well i should probably uh open for you uh nobody will be laughing so there'll be no aerosolized covid Uh, in the air
6: right Plus, plus, the crowd will shrink. Yes. Will be less People breathing on them <laughs> with the walkouts. Yeah. Are they more conservative? I
0: have a theory that most of the material that has been workshopped in the past year has been in front of audiences who don't give a shit about catching COVID. Therefore, they're probably, a, you know, red statey, red state ish. Do you worry that your new material was workshopped in front of a, a right-wing audience?
6: I like right-wing audiences because I because I don't like them, and so it creates the dynamic that you were talking about earlier, where I know you don't like me, I don't like you, and I'm going to make you laugh anyway. Right. That's the, that's the sweetest, most succulent laugh. Right. Because they're doing it against their will. Right. And, and at the end of my show... I feel like that was a fucking challenge. I could go to a liberal-leaning crowd any night and do well. I've been doing it for 31 years. Right. But to service us, because there's a part of me that feels sorry for people that are staunch conservatives who have just drank all the Kool-Aid. Like, there's a part of me that feels like they're probably uneducated, they're fr- they're, 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 they have low IQs, whatever it is that makes them this way. And so I feel like they deserve a laugh.
0: Right, and deep down, just because I vote left of center doesn't mean I like the audiences that are left of center, right, whereas a right wing audience they don't give a shit whose feelings get hurt yeah they're not, they're not, and so they and this was before the reported cancel culture i'm talking about back in the 80s you could if you were doing a democratic party fundraiser they were already clenching their butt cheeks and the republicans were drunk laughing they don't care who they hurt yeah and comedy in the end is hurtful therefore hateful
6: um yeah, I mean, I guess you can draw a lot of energy out of hatefulness, you know. And and when there's uh when there's conflict, like, um, you know, I think the Republicans just they they thrust. I'm getting distracted by this chat. I know this that. is
0: their animals. These people who show up, and I use the term people <laughs> loosely. I have a community of people I love. I don't
6: just like them. It's just distracting. It's popping up, and I feel like I should be reading. Well, if
0: you want to talk to Greg, raise your hand. This is what they do to me. This is what they do to me. They can't wait to talk to me when I don't need them. But when you're late and I need to take calls, they rather watch me hang. And like now, they want to distract you. Yeah. And when I say, well, why don't don't you raise your hand and ask Greg a question? No, then they can't be bothered. Yeah, they they come, these people, and again, I use the term loosely, are here to undermine what little morsel of show business I have left. (laughs) Do they come to your shows? No, they they just they come here. They, they it's a group of people who just get off on ruining my show. No, they're they're
6: nice people, uh, although some of them are. <laughs> no, they're. they're if but you I've ever, never, I've never been on a Zoom call where there's comments. Because oh, you 'cause you're you're like yeah, my, da- my daughter, my daughter's here, and she writes
0: these nuts. Ha! <laughs> This is... is My my own daughter is writing D's nuts in the chat room.
6: Wait, is this the daughter that went to Berkeley?
0: Well, I don't talk about my real children, so I won't talk. But, yes, this is my real... I I don't like to... For reasons that I can't go into, I can't talk about all my kids.
6: Probably because of things you said on my podcast in the past that got back to your wife.
0: Yes, my second wife... uh, Heard that I was going through something with my second wife, and that was one of the most expensive podcast appearances I've ever had. On my podcast? Oh, yeah. That one cost me... That was like attorney...
2: That was...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Divorced attorneys. They'll just call... They'll just call you in traffic and and they'll say, so what were you thinking when you were on Greg? And I go, you're just in traffic and you want to rack up billable hours, right? You're you're not really concerned about my emotional well-being. You're thinking, how do I take a negative and turn it into a positive? I'm on the 405. Feldman's an idiot.
2: (laughs) there's
0: still some money left on his retainer i'll wind it down right now and ask him what he was thinking
6: it was great podcasting it was worth it whatever you paid that that divorce attorney or your wife it was worth it
0: it was mostly the the divorce attorneys get they, they they uh yeah
6: what do you think would be a better system For divorce that would not involve both parties losing losing their life savings, as they then have to take on twice the expenses. I I thought OJ had a pretty.
0: (laughs)
2: That
0: was the joke. (laughs) That was the joke. (laughs) That was the joke (laughs) that That cost me five billable hours. (laughs) That was
2: the
5: joke. (laughs) That's right. I remember that. <laughs> and it wasn't even good. I remember saying to the <laughs> church, I remember thinking,
0: God, I mean, that's just a hacky thing. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> uh What would be the... I think... Uh, I think there is... Well, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I have some ideas, uh, but it it doesn't belong in the courts. The the idea that that you dissolve a marriage in in the civil courts like it's a a corporate dissolution. Yeah. But that's where it really gets down to is, is you're dissolving a corporation. And, the funny
6: thing uh, is is that in America we treat corporation as people, unless you're talking about a divorce, then you treat people like corporations. I was going to go
0: for, as I said that, I was going to say the difference between a divorce and a corporation is my third wife wasn't a a person. The corporation is a person. I was going to, it's my third wife, and it's for the sake of the joke. That's why I don't talk about my real wife, because I need to make fun (laughs) of of people I love, so I've created an imaginary world yeah. of six kids who I yeah. can, so nothing I say is true. Oh, okay. Yes. Got it. I never right. tell the truth on stage, because you right. get more material that way, You, but you speak the truth.
6: I do. I feel like, um, I think maybe because I, I when I podcast and I have nothing to say, I talk about my life. And then I might say something funny and then I'll say, wait, maybe I can try that on stage. Right. And then it becomes part of my stand-up. Right.
0: The deal I have with my loved ones is they're not in my act. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember my kids, I did uh, Dr. Katz, and there was a joke that he animated when my kids were really young. The joke was, I'm a good father, I always change the cat box before my kids play in it, (laughs) right? And then it was on Comedy Central, and I told my kids, you're going to be on Comedy Central. Uh And they sat and saw three or four kids sitting in a kitty litter box Uh playing. And I hope that taught them that everything I say is uh, not true. Do you ever feel bad about something you said
6: yeah um i uh i've never been i've never been uh uh insulting or disparaging of my wife i just never have because i never have in real life i really feel like she is truly i I don't want to sound like a a hack but like she truly is an amazing person she's gentle Is is there something in your eye what's in your
0: eye you, your left eye, you're w- it's like you're winking as you're saying. Oh, yeah? Really? No. no, I'm making a joke. That you're winking while you're... St- <laughs> Why are you making the jack off motion? Why are you... <laughs> so what were you saying? about? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
6: I made the mistake of trying to be sincere on David Feldman's podcast, what is the matter with me? Right. Why introduce that energy? No.
0: We all, we all want to hear how happily married you are and how perfect your <laughs> life is because
6: <laughs> that's,
0: I gravitate <laughs> to people yeah. who actually, it, things worked out for. I'm interested in yeah. how people have a life that worked out the way they planned. Yeah.
6: So go, go ahead. Do I, I you to- love your wife? I love my wife, and so I don't. So I don't shit on her on stage. I wish I could because it is definitely funnier. Yeah. Um, and my kids, I've said stuff about them that was personal. It was never mean, but it was sometimes more personal than I think they would have liked me to talk about.
0: Right. Right. And do they do they say anything to you?
6: No, they know I'm paying the bills. They get it. They get the deal. Right. This is what I do. And they've only each seen me live once. And I made sure that like when my son came to see me for the first time, he was like I guess he was like seventeen or something like that. Really? And I was I was at the yeah, he'd never seen me live. And I was at the Denver Comedy Works Perfect Saturday early show. Great. That's you. when you want your kid to see you. Maybe the ho- that may be the hottest room in the country. Saturday early show in Denver. And uh so so that was great and then uh and then I did a show here in LA at this place that was a super hip uh room and uh my daughter came to see me there and I ca I kept out all the stuff about I do talk about fucking their mother a lot. <laughs> That's a big part of my life. And I left stuff out. But so I didn't do as well as I would have. You you took that out.
0: Yeah, I took that out. Did you, if you had taken it out they wouldn't have been born, he said, desperately trying to come up with a joke. <laughs> well, you're completely different than I am. You're happy. You're married. I'm not happy. You're successful. I took my, I'm not making this up, I would take my kids to the worst gigs possible because I couldn't get booked at Comedy Works <laughs> in <since then. laughs> There was no, no. It wasn't like yes, I'm going to teach my kids that I have clay feet and that I'm not, <laughs> that I'm not a guy. No, I, every gig I played was pretty bad. Uh, no, I I would go out of my way to take my kids if there was a bad gig, like an, like a, a casino in Palm Springs, yeah, where you could hear the tinkling of the slot machines. You're right. And they allowed kids in there. I would, and, I, and, I, and the audience wasn't good. I, I loved having them see me sure. just go down. But like, just where, not even where they didn't hate me, they didn't care. Yeah. Where the audience yes. just didn't care that I was right. up, up there. I, thought, I think that's just such a great lesson for kids to uh, self orphan. Is the term, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <put them> to... <laughs> Hello? Oh, St. Mary's Orphanage? <laughs> I think I can do that. I'd like to trade up. Do you do tours? Do you do tours here at the orphanage? <laughs> Just a sense of what I get. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did they ever run away? My kids? Yeah. Oh, you don't talk about your kids. Sorry. No, but my kids, uh, they ran away. Well we moved and i wanted to surprise them That they, they they have some kind of homing device they're like cats they find they found and it was really amazing i almost wanted to call the news like my my daughter who's in the room she like we moved we didn't tell her and she just found you know some kind of center, so she found the new place. Okay. Yeah, I've
6: heard about that with dogs, but I didn't know that it was Yeah,
0: she kid. found, I think she went like 600 miles. Wow. Just, you yeah. know.
6: Well, I guess with the Jews, you're a nomadic people, so I guess you develop that instinct over time.
0: No, no, no. We're not nomadic. We get kicked out of wherever we're living because, you know, we're insufferable. I'm nomadic? That's, that's a euphemism for...
6: Enough already. Yeah, that's like calling a homeless person a camper. <laughs> yeah. Now, are your
0: kids? Uh, you're, I, I feel like it's a violation talking
6: about. I'll talk it. about my kids. They're now, one of them is a black belt, right? Owens a black belt, and he's going to DePaul University in Chicago. He's okay. a junior. He's on the soccer team, and he's got a radio show on the on the radio station there.
0: Just like his father,
6: and his grandfather, and, and his, his father, great-grandfather. Yes, You're
0: great grandfather, great who I I don't want to get emotional. Yeah, I my, know. My son has a black belt around his neck to heighten the orgasms. I'm so proud of him. Best orgasms west of the Mississippi. He has a black belt in... in so he so did he come into by the way that all fairness. that's from I'm, I'm embarrassed i don't know what i'm more embarrassed of that that is from my that i'm doing something from my act or that's in my act <laughs> i think i'm more embarrassed that it's in my act uh did he want to get uh, a black belt or did you say the world is tough you better be able to defend yourself
6: no he was actually a crazy kid when he was in preschool and he was like biting other kids in the face and he was he was hitting people he had a bad temper which i have or was he you winning so he was losing those who he was losing the fight no so. he was he was kicking ass so then why he did he have to go
0: to t- 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 <laughs> t- things were fine he wasn't losing wasn't getting beaten up i know
6: i know he was like he was like eight and one was a draw i would i would call it a draw and uh i lost a little bit of money on that fight but uh he went to um taekwondo when he started doing it and within three months he wasn't hitting kids anymore he had like all this self-control and then, you know, they go belt to belt. So it's like you, know, you have these little next goal is the yellow belt wow. with one stripe on it, then two stripes, and he just got really into it and he went like three days a week and uh he loved it. And then once he got his black belt, he was kinda like, I'm done. He didn't want to continue to just spar. He wanted to he he liked the achieving the different levels. Now
0: did your wife treat him differently? When she and he realized that his Oedipal fantasy is one kick away, <laughs> that he could just take you out and, and fulfill the Oedipal fantasy, did that? Well, did, did, did the
6: dynamic change? He breastfed for over two years, and I started to think about the Oedipal thing with him. So yeah, he's he is he is achieving. Uh, he's checking off all the Oedipal boxes. Are you afraid of him? Do you
0: watch what you say in front of him for fear?
6: I used to wrestle really hard with him, like really hard. Like when, when he started to become like at the same level as me. And I'm a good fighter, so I could take him down. I put him into a chokehold, or I would sit on his chest. And uh, and then one day he pushed me down over the couch and he put me into a lock and I couldn't get out. And ever since then, instead of fighting intensely, We just like, we'll just like slap fight a little bit, but I don't, I don't, I don't go there anymore.
0: When's the last time you were in a fight? Honestly, Uh, there was the last time I talked to you, you had a road rage incident where you rolled the the dice.
6: Yeah, I have those. I had a fight at Sirius XM Studios with the guy that owns the studio in L.A. Uh, He owns the actual space and I was trying to park my car. And, uh, he wouldn't let me park it in a certain spot. And it's the spot I had always parked it in. And I was about to go live on the air on Howard Stern's channel in literally 30 seconds. I was that, I was always that late. I once had, I once had, uh, Andy Kindler hosted the first five minutes of my show live on Howard Stern's channel because I wasn't there yet. And all he did was shit on me. And I was in my car listening (laughs) to my own show and Andy shit on me.
0: Well, so I want to get back to your Alec Baldwin moment.
6: So I get into the studio, and I get I get to the parking spot, and the guy is trying to block the car, so I just pull in anyway. And then he's in my ear yelling at me, and I'm telling him to leave me the fuck alone. And then finally, he, we got right to the studio, and he said, fuck you, and I've got this trigger. When somebody says fuck you to me, I go red. And I swung at him and uh mike gibbons was there and he jumped in the middle and he broke it up and then i walked into. did you the studio. at least get a punch
0: into mike did you at least land one on him
6: i might have hit mike in Good. Okay. Ah, that's good. and then i walked into the studio and i sat down behind the mic and i hosted the show for an hour and i was like totally focused and calm i was like ready to go so you threw a punch oh yeah it's on videotape as a matter of fact i'll send you the video because they had a camera in the studio, and I guess it got kind of passed around as serious. People were laughing at it. Wow. Wow. And it feels good? Feels great. Yeah. It fills up, and then it has to come out. It's like your ball sack. Right. Yeah.
0: But did you think maybe he could jerk you off instead?
6: If he had jerked me off, all the anger would have gone away. So it's it's using your hands for good. Can you imagine getting into a fight with a guy and then he starts kissing you while you're rolling around? That's what I would do.
0: I swear to God. If I were a fighter, if I were your son... Yeah. You know, like the scene in The Sopranos where Johnny Sacks beats the shit out of a guy and then pees on him? (laughs) Which I just think is, like... Freezing cold weather, whips it out, pees on the guy after he beats him up. I'm saying, yeah. I could never pee, like I'm pee shy in the cold. Like, but I often thought that would be the ultimate humiliation, is to beat a guy up in front of his girlfriend and then kiss yeah. him on the lips. Just lick him. Like, yeah. that would. If there were robots, like instead of sex dolls that were realistic. Wouldn't it be great to have like. Punch, punch, you know, punch dolls, humans yeah. that look like a 25 year old driving his dad's Porsche. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, like a Westworld type of fantasy.
6: Yeah. And you can you can choke the the, the, uh, the figure, you can right. choke him to death and you can look in his eyes and his eyes go wide, right. and then they shut, and then the breathing stops in the, I mean, that would, that would feel viscerally so rewarding.
0: Now, what would be more rewarding? His death rattle, in his death rattle, he says, one, pick one or the other, I'm sorry, or fuck you. Right before he dies, what would you rather hear? I'm sorry I was wrong, or fuck you. And I know the answer. There's a correct answer. It's fuck you. Fuck you. Right. Yeah. Of course.
6: Yeah. No. Because you realize you you don't if he says I'm sorry, you feel guilty because he changed. I don't want any I don't want a character arc. <laughs> I don't want him to stay in our
0: <laughs> So murdering somebody, as long as we're on the subject, do you want to take uh do you want to teach somebody a lesson or do you just want to remove them
6: uh i think it's both i think it's both i want to um i feel like there's this irish thing of righting wrongs that we've got in our psyche that we walk around That's why we became cops uh, <laughs> we, just, we have we have this need to, oh wait it's my wife let's put my wife on the podcast. Oh, okay. Hey, baby. Hi. Where are you?
4: I'm at work. Where are you?
6: Oh, I'm in my office. Does she? Does she know
0: she's on the show?
2: So
4: Trying to make. Um, no, don't, don't do that. That's a violation.
0: Ten people are
6: listening and watching. Do I want to do what?
2: You Want me to try to make
4: booster shot appointments for us on Friday?
6: Well, can you? Can we have sex after? Oh No, no, don't do that to her. That's not. Are you on your podcast? Yeah, I'm on a podcast. She's on my
0: podcast. Uh, okay, you're fine. <laughs> Can I talk to her for one second? No, she hung up on me. Well, if she, she watches she, you, you were, pl- you were you pl- were you were very.
6: So she wouldn't be pissed off that, or does she just expect? Oh, I do that to her all the time. Oh. Yeah, I, I lure in her into trying to say inappropriate things, and then I and then she always says, "Am I on a podcast?" <laughs> I could
0: never. I I, I got so nervous. Uh, and I
6: do it on stage. If she calls me when I'm on the road and I'm on stage, I take the call and I put it on speakerphone and I tell the crowd to be quiet. <laughs> and then I try to get her to talk dirty. <laughs> <laughs> She's on to you. Yeah. She knows. She's right. Yeah. How much of what you
0: tell your kids is the truth in terms of joking around and teasing? Do you tease your kids?
6: Um. They tease me more, which kind of pisses me off because, you know, just the whole idea that they think they're cool and I'm not, you know, is like uh, it's a role that you're supposed to grow into as a parent. Like you're supposed to let your kids hit a certain age and then they start saying how out of it you are and how your music sucks and you don't get it. And then you kind of go like, All right. and then you kind of play along with it. And I just never have accepted that role. Like I'm not going down that road of like you're cooler than me because you're not. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're, uh, they're not cooler kids Then I was cooler at their age. Right, and you're much I'm, cooler I'm, I'm now. Act a little bit,
0: and you're much cooler now.
6: I don't know that as when they're adults, uh, what they're going to be like. I just know what I was like when I was their age, and uh, they don't take the risks that I take that I took. They don't get laid as much. <laughs> they don't get you know they they the, they don't. I don't know. I feel like I was a more interesting person than they are. I was, I was more well-rounded.
0: Well, you had a more dangerous life. You weren't as protected yes. as, as your kids are. We, we overly protect our kids. Yes. Like, and
6: we create boring people.
0: Yes. Yeah.
6: Um, I'm really worried that my kids might be boring.
0: Right. Like my father never came to my Little League games. Like Right. Did your father come I to your Little never, League? Never, ever, ever. He bet on them. My father bet on the Little League games. But, uh,
6: <laughs> and he put you in the, it with the special kids, right? So that he could, <laughs> he could always win the bet?
0: Uh, happiest moment as a father of a daughter. Happiest moment where you went, thank you, God. Where you dropped to your knees and said, thank you, God. But you don't believe in god You're, i believe in god oh you believe in god
6: yeah um happiest moment with jojo um hmm. that's tough one you know i mean, obviously i can say like high school graduation but i mean that's that's hacky i would say uh, i think there was a moment when she was in we went to a church i'm I, we never brought them to church. I, we, I grew up Catholic. My mother is very Catholic. And so we were down in Florida. But your wife's a nomad, she, as I understand it. What's that? Isn't your wife a nomad? <laughs> She's a nomad. Isn't she nomadic? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't she yes. uh, is a traveling? Really? It's weird. She always has in our garage There's a tent set up, on a, a, and it's got like a cart that you can pull the tent on with bottled water and food. And I, I don't know what it's there for, but she just says, uh, just leave it. But no,
0: in all seriousness, didn't you marry uh, a, uh, what's the term? Jew? Yes, uh, yes, that's the term. Yeah. Didn't you marry a Jewish person? Yeah, she's a Jew. Okay. And you're, but
6: you're raising the kids? Nothing.
0: You're raising them as nothing.
6: You're raising them as nothing. But then my mother, when we were in Florida and my daughter was about six, she, uh, my mom always makes them go to church, and Jojo has always had this response to the Catholic Church where she gets very present, and she is awestruck. And um, she looks at the stained glass, and she wants to hear all the stories about the transfiguration uh, of of the Eucharist, and she wants to know about the ascension, that Jesus goes to heaven, and all this. Story. I mean, they're great stories. Mm-hmm. And so we went to the church and she walked right in. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's candles and you light a candle and then you say a prayer for somebody. So she sat down, uh, she kneeled down and she lit a candle and she she folded her hands in front of her face and she prayed for like five minutes. And she comes over and I go, w-, I go, what were you doing? And she said, I was praying for your father and she never met him. She never met my oh,
5: father. That's
6: sweet. Yeah, I thought that was kind of beautiful. I want to show you
0: this is why the Jews are. Let me see if I can give you this picture. Let me put this up. This is the God's honest truth. I'm not making this up. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let me show you. This is a new picture that's out. That is Jelaine Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein kneeling before the Pope.
5: Wow. Is real? That's not photos? That's
0: the God's honest truth. Wow. Now, this is how you know somebody's Jewish. A Jew will look at Jeffrey Epstein kneeling before the Pope going. They don't see child molester. They'll go, what the hell is he doing kneeling before the Pope? He's Jewish. Yeah. (laughs) What's wrong with this man? Jeffrey Epstein has he? Yeah, this guy has no moral compass. This guy until now. <laughs> that was I swear to you. That was my first reaction. Was yeah, I know he's a child molester, but but he's doing taking communion from the Pope. <laughs> I'm
2: serious. <laughs> when
0: did he? Lo- I, I swear to you, I thought. When did he lose his way? <laughs>
6: I wish I was joking. Uh, I remember yeah, thinking, like, why? Why would he do that? Why would he? Well, because all two boys have sisters, right? <laughs> they have younger sisters.
0: Oh, he brought a menu for the Pope, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, right, right. What does that picture tell you? What What, is that, what does that tell you about the world?
6: Yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess there's a bucket list for billionaires. And that was one of the things, is get a picture with the Pope. Get a picture with the Jeffrey Epstein
0: and the Pope. Where did you find that? It was in the news. It was just in my files. Wow. I was going to, in case somebody was late for the show, and I had to kill time. And by wow. kill time, I mean my career. Not. Uh, yeah. So I, I have little things. Do you, are, now, are you able, how many years have you been doing this, the podcast?
6: Um, I think about 12 if I said to you
0: uh, you're, you're going on stage you can't tell any jokes you just have to talk to the audience for two hours and you can't do any bits from your act okay could you talk to the audience for two straight hours yes you could yeah I could do that yeah you could sure yeah
6: Yeah, yeah, am I allowed to interact with them? Can I do crowd work? Yeah, but you can't do any bits that you have in your quiz. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When I do the Friday Night Late Show, I have a no material policy because I know it's not going to work anyway, and then I won't believe in the material anymore, and and I know the crowd work works better. So I pretty much just riff and talk to the crowd on the Friday Night Late Show, and that's an hour right there.
0: Worst night of stand-up ever. And I'm talking about after you've... When did you do Letterman?
6: Uh, I did it five times. I didn't ask you
0: how many times.
6: Five times. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. So I figure after Letterman, you're no longer... You're you're a professional after Letterman, right? Right. Okay. I started headlining. Worst night of stand-up after doing Letterman?
6: I was booked to do a uh, a corporate date in uh, Lake Tahoe. So, you know, you got to fly to Reno and then you got to take a car service up to the place and it's a resort that's on the lake and, and I show up and I was like, uh, where's the crowd? And they're like, uh, they're out on the boat. They're on the lake. There's a booze cruise happening right now. It's been going on for about five or six hours, and uh, they're late. The boat was supposed to be back 45 minutes ago, but they extended it. I guess they're having a really good time. And so I'm just standing there waiting for them to come in. And so they come in, like half of them come in. They can't get the other half to get off the boat. And uh, and this, so the lady goes, we got to start. It's like 10 o'clock now, and we got to start. So they just introduce me, and I walk on stage. Nobody's seated. I can't get people to sit down, and they're all they're all from Merck. They were Merck sales reps. So they were good-looking. They were like the guys. Oh, the guys sales are... reps, they're evil. Yeah, they're evil. They're the guys that were the high school, you know, quarterbacks and the cheerleaders. They're all good-looking. They're
0: peddling drugs to doctors that the patients don't need, but they're usually... They send the pretty women to the heterosexual male doctors, and they yeah, yep, and give them samples and trips. It's yeah. how we got addicted to opiates.
6: Yes, and uh, and so I, I and the lady said to me, "You have to do your time because people are gonna see that my my supervisor's coming in. You got to do." So I stood there for an hour and asked people to sit down, and I tried to joke. And I, strict orders, no cursing, no religion, no politics, no bodily functions, no sex. And that was the worst hour of my life.
0: And did you get paid?
6: I got paid. I got paid a lot of money. the only reason I I kept doing it.
0: Okay. Best night ever doing stand-up. You can have a killer set for a show Saturday, and you have to do a, another show, and you could bomb, and that first show is over. It never happened. Is there, is there a set, a show, that when you think about it, it bubbles to the surface and you still remember? Do you remember one set from the road that was just absolutely perfect and it's undeniable and you always think about that one set no. Really? There's not one no. show where you got it, where you walked away and said, I got it completely right. I was firing on all pistons here.
6: No, I don't, I don't have that kind of memory. I just, I, I, know there's certain clubs where I feel like I get close to that more often than other clubs. There's places where I feel so comfortable. Like San Francisco, I was just at the punchline. And there's usually one show during the week that I watch. Like that week, if you ask me, I'll know that there was one show. That's why that's just that joke that you always hear with comedians is like, Hey, we saw you last night. You were awesome. We love you. Which show? Right. You know, it's always which show. Um, what would you rather have?
0: A packed house where you bomb or an empty house where you kill? And there's a correct answer.
6: Depends. Do I get a bonus? If it's packed, do I get a bonus?
0: That's not the question.
6: Of course, I'd rather have the small crowd, where I do well.
0: Packed house, you kill. You pack house, you bomb, and they want you back because you made money for the club. Empty house, you kill. They don't want you back because you can't sell tickets. What would you rather have? You
6: got to come in. I, I, yeah, I want the big house. I want to bomb in front of the big house. Well, the truth is, a lot of times on the Saturday night early show is can sometimes not be great. Sometimes you get crowds that are, like, well-heeled, and they're the conservative people, and they don't laugh. They sit there, and then you think you bombed, and then as they walk out, if you say goodnight to them at the end of the show, which I try to do, they'll go, that was amazing. I had such a great time. You're the best. Can't wait to see you next time. And you're like, well, why didn't you fucking laugh? So Are you
0: forgiving of groups of people? Can you assess a room? Can you look at 300, 400 people, packed room, watch the opening act, and say, "I know on a scale of one to ten in terms of laughs, they're only capable of a three tonight. There's some group think there's some mood you're not gonna you're just not gonna get the whole room." going, but if I can get a three out of them in, you know, on, on a sliding scale, that's a ten.
6: Well, I don't, I never base it on the opening acts because I just don't, there's a reason why they're opening and I'm headlining. I always feel like I can take them higher than the opening acts did, so I try, and I hate it, hate it, and I've told opening acts not to do this. Don't come off stage and go, they suck, Right. or this, this crowd's terrible. I don't want to hear your assessment of the crowd. Because they're going to be a different crowd when I get up there, and so, but I know within, I know within five minutes whether or not, like you said, I, I'm not going to get out of third gear with this crowd. Okay, I can just, and just, and I can feel good about then, getting them as, as long as I am, doing as well as I'm capable of doing, and not mailing it in. Like I really am proud that I never mail it in. I never say fuck them. I'm just going to do a rote show i still i'll I'll do the crowd more i'll i'll think of old bits that might be working better than these ones are i'll do whatever it takes in any given show
0: do you ever text it in
6: (laughs) i will take phone calls for my wife yes you will I, i phone it in that way
0: okay so let's say you have this epiphany and you think you know feldman and i whenever i hang out with him i have a good time Then again, we're separated by microphones. We're performing on a podcast. He's on his best behavior. But I have a feeling being on the road with him would be a lot of fun. So you say, you know what, come open for me. And I agree to open for you. Right? Now we're on the road. And now I want to, because I'm self-destructive when it comes to relationships, we're playing tempeh together at the Improv. Yeah, and I want to blow you out of the way. I want to open for Greg Fitzsimmons and create tension because you're bombing <laughs> it's like I'm ruining the crowd for you because that's my MO with relationships you get too close to me I'm going to punish you for for getting to. So, just in case this ever happens, where you're, you know, I say, yeah, I'd love to go on the road with you. Great. That's great. Right. And now I'm, you know, all about you. (laughs) What could I do to poison the crowd so there's no way you could do your act? What what would I do? And it's not in terms of so much what I do to the crowd as much as what I do to you seeing me do it. Like, there's certain acts, if they go on before you, can do certain things that poison you. Not the crowd, but just get you. I don't want to be a stand-up anymore. This motherfucker, I just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. What could I do to sabotage your headlining spot?
6: Well, like, I just couldn't remember being, going on in L.A. after Chris D'Elia. And watching him talk about, you know, dolphins thinking mm-hmm. dolphin noises and then laughing at his own joke and like watching the crowd laugh really hard at that made me not want to go on and it made me never have a good set. But I feel like if you wanted to fuck with
0: me, let's let's swim with the dolphins and Crystalia for a second.
6: Yeah. Well, your thoughts on Chris? It's, it's, it's this energy it's this energy that gets put out and it's not comedy it's not comedy there's no jokes there's no it's just anyway I, I, this is going to get replayed now uh, yeah. so I'm not going to say any more but like the worst thing you could do is you work the crowd relentlessly so okay. that you torch every table You've you've talked to every table so I can't go there at all and then I want you to create
0: like a running bit. Like he's coming back to one guy who's the, you know, the fake, the, the, the stolen valor, phony Vietnam vet. Like I get a running thing. He really didn't serve in Vietnam. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I'm going to introduce
0: you to somebody who's joining us.
6: He, uh, he served in Vietnam. You want to why don't you, you stick around for ten Vietnam minutes? Already?
0: Huh?
5: You're already in Vietnam?
0: Yeah. Can you give us, I, I don't want to get too tactical with you, Judd, uh, but can you give me a, a landscape instead of a portrait? Yes. It's always great when <laughs> the director, the big time movie director.
7: You <laughs> know what the problem is? When I go to the side, I'm looking to the side the whole time.
0: Right, but...
7: Doesn't that look weird? No. Look there, weird?
0: There's composition and, and aesthetic. Really? Yes. And a tone.
7: You like my eye line right now? I...
0: Yeah. You're looking down on me, which you should.
7: Okay. You, well, I, Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I'm going to, I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to wait. I got a desk that goes up. No, oh, you're pulling oh, a oh, tubin. You eye line, oh. motherfuckers. Look, look at
0: that. That's a Jeffrey that's tubin nice. that you just pulled. You no and
7: Rocky's <laughs> got the nice like green background. I got nothing. I got uh, maybe I need a little like just a little something in the shot. There you go. A little something. That's good. You don't
6: have any trophies in the office. You can like just accidentally have in the background like every actor.
7: This is my writing office, which has nothing in it. I'm trying to have a little feng shui. I don't think about the past. I don't think about my family. It's like a white, nothing room, and then I hope something bubbles up, and it has not happened yet, but I'm hoping that it will.
0: Let me do Let me do this. Let me yes, introduce you, and why don't we have... I actually wrote questions. I hope so. And I, but I also want to get... I know you want to talk politics. Oh, really? Yes, that? I know. but I know you want to talk politics, but I figure since we've got Smigel coming up a little later, and we've got Rex at Simmons and you are a renowned author and director. I figured I would take advantage and ask you some questions that are not necessarily political. While I'm digging up those questions, let me give you a proper introduction. Judd Apatow is a comedian, a comedy writer, and a director. His next show is at Largo on December 7th. His special guest is Beck, And it's a benefit for 826 LA and Pacific Pups. And he joins us today from his office somewhere in Los Angeles, and you know uh, from the TV show Crashing, Mr. Greg Fitzsimmons, I believe. Have you ever met him?
7: I've spent many hours in small rooms with Greg. I know a lot of intimacies about him that I probably can't even share here.
6: What he's saying is he dresses up as a priest sometimes and we go into a confessional.
7: It's (laughs) a weird thing to say. It's part of job acquisition.
0: (laughs) So I figure we'll do ten minutes with Greg asking you questions and me, and then I'll say goodbye to Greg and then I'll pummel you with politics. Sophie's choice,
7: can I say something already, David? I have no idea what when we are recording something for your show. Oh, so we're live.
0: we're doing it live.
7: This is all live because you talk as if we're about to start, but because you have the same voice, both on air and off it you you have a presentational voice right so like I literally thought eight times already we are on and off the air.
0: this is. The story of my life i'm just about to start i'm about like I go. is this my is this my life is this let me ask you i, I was going to ask you do, do you have you when did you realize this was your life
7: mm, what aspect of my life
0: in terms of career we'll talk about career but you thought you know what this is who i am this is who I, this is pretty much now i'm going to just be me for the rest of my life.
7: Uh, maybe when we did the Cable Guy, I produced the Cable Guy and did rewrites on the Cable Guy. And I remember driving to Long Beach. We were shooting in the uh, at the Queen Mary, I guess, where they kept the Queen Mary, mm-hmm. and they this giant. I, I guess it's a, we use it as a soundstage, but it might have just been a storage facility. And it was like six in the morning, driving on the freeway, and I think I was twenty-eight or twenty-nine years old, and. It was a good job, and I just thought, uh, this is good, headed to go do this movie. Then, you know, six months later, time in Newsweek called Disaster, and then you're like, wait a second, what what the hell just happened? I think this is great. And then you have to get your head together. You have to have your own inner compass right. as to what you're doing. But I thought, oh, yeah, I guess this is it. So you looked
0: into the abyss. How many times... In a career, should somebody look into the abyss and ask themselves, "Is this it?" Because it, it, it seems I always think this is it. If I get through this, yeah. and then I go, "Wait, what's the abyss doing here?" I thought, <laughs> what, what, "What are you doing back here?" How many times have you looked into this? How many times? You, you, into, how many how t- you mean this? To- I'm sorry.
7: You mean existential abyss or the career abyss? The career abyss,
0: where you think, you know, I'll I'll look, I'll go eyeball to eyeball with the abyss. I get through this. I'll never see this abyss again.
7: (laughs) It's not every time. I feel like every time you work on something, no matter what it is, it's like jumping into a frying pan. And then you go, I'm just going to jump in. I hope this comes out. Okay. I have no idea if it's all going to track or make sense. And, and then it ends suddenly, like I just finished a movie and then you're just like depressed and you feel weird and, and you're like, wow, that happened. I actually did that. And then you slowly start going, I guess I got to do it again. Now I got to think of something else to do.
0: So you're depressed after you do a movie.
7: I'm always depressed after I do a movie. I'm always depressed before you do a movie. (laughs) <laughs> leading in what the hell is it going to be because <laughs> you use it as a distraction to not deal with all your mental health issues. you can just be so focused on your dumb story that right. you don't actually face what's going on in your head and then right. suddenly the movie's over like on a dime like you have a meeting and you approve something and it's done and then you drive home and it's just you for the first time in whatever a year or two and um, then you're like damn I better think of something else than not to sit in this
0: We have Greg Fitzsimmons here. What's the question you would ask Judd on my show that you wouldn't ask him on your show?
6: (laughs) Oh, interesting. Well, Uh, I want to point out, by the way, as Judd is saying that, when he finishes his movies and he feels depressed, I was just at his office. And uh, it's not just, the movie doesn't just end. He's been developing a TV show, shooting two documentaries, and then he reveals to me that he's written a book. Over the time, remember he and I take walks together, two-hour walks regularly, and it just never came up. Like that's how much stuff he's constantly doing. So uh, the distraction is more than just the movie.
7: (laughs) You need multiple distractions. Yeah. Okay. So you take,
6: you go for walks with the truck.
0: All the time. And we walk to the beach. Okay, this is great. I didn't notice. So I'm going to ask Judd to play Sophie's Choice. But okay. we'll ask you to figure out which one. Sophie's Choice, 826 LA or Pacific yeah. Pups. You're doing a benefit for 826 LA yeah. and Pacific Pups. Or t-
7: the dogs play. I'm going to say... Uh, no, no, no. We have to have... Hang
0: on. Don't answer. Don't answer.
7: Oh, oh I thought I had to get rid of one.
0: Yeah, I'm saying. Well, but we have to, uh, this is Greg. If 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 we ask Judd, he had to choose between the A26LA charity, which helps students realize their full potential as writers and students, or Pacific Pups, which I would assume Pacific. It's a charity that does cosmetic surgery for for a puppies. I would assume that one of. If you had to pick.
6: What do you think Chubb's going to pick? Um, I, I just heard him say dogs, so i got to say he's going to kill the dogs. <laughs> well,
7: not that, kill the dogs, but that helps. Yeah. You know what's really distracting is, like, the, on this Zoom, like, messages come up while you're talking.
0: Yes, they're and animals.
7: Like all of your fans, one guy just said, uh, you know, get to the fucking politics already. <laughs> I like that there's, like, that energy... That love of politics that's like hostile to just get into it. Right. Yeah. Like they don't want any break to talk <laughs> about specific pups.
6: Right. Right. Now, I already told I already told Feldman he's trying way too hard. This, these these notes are a distraction to the guests. And I haven't read any so far that were uh, constructive. There was none that made me go, "Hey, let's let's weave this into the podcast. This is a good point."
0: This is. These are my. Uh, they're not fans. They just show up to. Uh, yeah. Why
7: these people? Because I am one of them. I am one of your fans. I listen to the show more than I I should. I'm the only person I know gets excited at a Dave Cyrus appearance, and. Um, What's so funny is I used to listen to Dave Cyrus on uh, your show, and I always thought he was, like, really funny and knew his stuff. And then I was working with Pete and his friend Dave on the script for King of Staten Island, and it took me many months to realize it was just the same person. (laughs) (laughs) I would love him on your show. Dave Cyrus is great than me, like, you know, the other Dave, not, not as impressed, quite frankly, in person. And, uh... And then I was like, wait, you're the guy on data.
0: <laughs> well, that's very sweet of you. Let's, let, let, let me ask you two quick questions. Uh, Greg, why don't you ask a question, uh, and then we'll we'll get into the politics. I know you don't like the politics because you're an anti-vaxxer, right, Greg?
6: I'm not anti vax I just don't get it. I don't see why. <laughs> anyway, I would, a, I would ask. You're anti. Go ahead. I would ask Judd if he had uh, his choice right now of doing any movie he wanted to do or any TV series he wanted to do, which would he prefer, which medium?
7: Which medium would I do? Yeah. That's a very good question uh, because, you know, a TV show when it's working and you have good actors and actresses and a good staff, it's fun, it's like a, like a family, that, that stays around for a while. I'm very needy as a person, and I use uh, projects to create social uh, social constructs. Uh, and so a good series that lasts a while with good people is fun. You know, Girls is fun. Crashing was really fun. I told Pete Holmes the other day, like I'm like sad sometimes, because it was just fun to go to the room, and there's, you know, Greg and Jamie Lee, and Ian Edwards, and there were all these people that were fun to see. So I probably would lean an easy TV show with people that didn't need much help from me that I could hang out with when I wanted to, but really no stress because they were so good at their jobs that I didn't have as much to do.
6: Yeah, I guess when you're working on a movie, it's like starting a new business and you're managing more, whereas with a TV show, it kind of gets its own legs after a while and you can just be a writer on it.
7: Yes where a movie you feel like if this doesn't work, so many people are mad at me. Yeah. Because movies lose people money, right? Like if you make a movie, say the budget's $30 million, they spend like $20, $30 million on ads. So if it just eats it, people actually lose massive amounts of money. And somewhere in your head you're always aware, like, oh, this is like a financial disaster <laughs> if I don't pull it off. If you care about such things, some people don't care I met James Cameron once, and I did a Q&A and interviewed him, and he said, you know, when you have a budget that's like $300 million, doesn't that make you nervous? And he says, no. And he goes, I feel better because I know if my budget's that high, the studio will force it to be a hit. They'll support it so much. He's like, my fear is winding up like the Hurt Locker because those people were on this panel. And they had a budget of like $12 million and they will they are not making enough money for how great that movie is. Wasn't that his ex-wife? 12.
0: Wasn't that his ex-wife? Her wife? Bigelow? Wasn't he married to him?
7: I don't know. I don't follow such things.
0: All right. Let's turn to politics. Yes. I maintain that movies and television are capitalism and hyperdrive. As Greg just pointed out, a journey person in Hollywood can have 12 jobs, 12 projects, sometimes simultaneously, like you. In in, in one year, you could have 15 different jobs. These LLCs, they come and go. They're all fly-by-nights, even though they're owned and operated by big-time studios. So what insight do you think people who work in Hollywood have, about the nature of the economic system, we're trying to survive underneath this this capitalism. What what insight did you have about capitalism as it's practiced in America when you started out and what, what do you now know about our economic system?
7: This is a. I, I wish I was smarter because the question requires it. No, it doesn't. We need to have <laughs> more brain power because it's, it's exactly the right question for someone who knew stuff. But. Because we wrestle. This is a left of, left of center. As
0: you know, this show is left of center. Uh, they're, they're, and And I look at Hollywood. As an example of everything that's wrong with capitalism, it's just in hyperdrive. If you want to know how an economic system plays out, take a look at the TV and movie business and the record business, because it's in, everything is thinking short term. If you, you know you're only as good as your last project, that's a fast-paced version of how most people live. It's just
7: well, uh, you know, it's a gig economy, let's say. In some version, it's a, it's a gig economy. It's unstable for most people in show business. Right. And a lot of it is uh, unfair to the workers. That's what the IATSE uh, issue is about with their contract, which is they make people work too many hours. The conditions aren't good enough. It's dangerous. You know, if you make people work 15 16 hour days for many many days or months it's dangerous it's, it's dangerous to drive home is, you know, you're doing a job that can be dangerous because you can make a mistake and hurt yourself you can drive home and you're too tired to do that safely and the system much like a chicken plant it works right. the same way which is how much can we get out of these people for how little money and it does require unions to you know to fight that and you know when we hear about all these people making billions and billions and billions of dollars just like other industries you never hear like oh they're going to max out the days at 14 hours right you know like it doesn't just like it doesn't trickle down in other industries right it's the same thing Because when people think of hollywood they just think about uh, you know, people, uh, you know, actors or directors or producers, you know, who are making a different kind of salary than the thousands of people, you know, who, who are doing really, really hard labor right. to get those movies made. Is uh, there a system? And those are at difficult the, jobs.
0: Is there a system? You know, one of the things we're learning is that there, there's, a, there's a system in in New York City. New York City is controlled by real estate and and Wall Street and everything flows from that. Do you did you ever get a glimpse of what really controls show business or is it just competing segments of the economy? Do 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 you have a did you ever come up with a unifying theory that explains why things are in in Hollywood?
7: Well, it, you see more of it as it's transition from movies and TV to streaming. You, you know, then all of the pipes get revealed. You know how how it works, right? So, a movie studio is making a certain amount of bets a year. So, oh, I'll, I'll make these two movies, and these two movies cost four hundred million dollars. And right. then I'll make these two movies, and they cost you know eighty, ninety million each. And then I'll make a couple of small bets on some horror movies and some comedies that cost whatever ten to million, and so they're spreading their bets on the table, right? That's how they decide what movies to make, but now in this new economy, certain movies don't work in other territories, right? So if you have a a comedy, and you know it's never going to open up in China uh, or Russia or certain parts of the world, it doesn't have that potential to make a billion dollars, so the amount of time a studio spends on a comedy might be much less than their giant mega action movie, which could become a ride, could become a sequel. right? Could have a universe right. around it, and so the creativity of movies and show business is ultimately serving uh, how big can it get?
2: Mm-hmm. Right,
7: and so they're not going to be like, oh, we need, we need more, uh, you know. Uh, just good movies. I right? just like right. whatever you might think a good movie is, Dog Day Afternoon, or right. you know whatever your definition is of something great, Harold and Maude, right. Moonlight, whatever it is. They're not going to make a billion dollars, uh, and that changes what you see. And then at some point the audience has been trained to just like that because they don't even get the other stuff. Right. The funny thing that that changes it is they're also in competition for awards, right? So you have this little thing where like. Netflix, you know, and all the studios, Amazon—they want to win Oscars, and they're embarrassed if they don't. So they put some money aside for that part of their business, not as much as they'll spend, you know, on um, the gigantic movies or the Marvel movies, right. but they kind of have to win an Oscar, right. also. Right. And so they'll have those little investments in, in their awards movies, and and so the whole thing is kind of insane. But you see the pipes of it. You know, right. This is what is required. There are certain movies they think make people sign up for a streaming service. Right. Some movies you wouldn't get, you wouldn't sign up for Amazon Prime to, you know, to get this movie. But some movies, I'm sure they look and go, how many people signed up for Amazon Prime just so they could watch that movie? Right. But now they're paying whatever they're paying a month, maybe for the rest of their lives, right? to Amazon Prime. Right. Right? And that kind of and they explains
6: the Chappelle phenomenon of spending $20 million on one person to do one hour of comedy because there are a lot of people, especially if you're talking about somebody that has a different demographic of followers than Netflix maybe had before. Maybe a lot of black uh, fans are signing up for Netflix.
0: Right. Let's talk about Mel Brooks. You uh, wrote the intro to the uh, the book about young Frankenstein. It's the funniest movie ever made. Everybody, most people agree, right?
7: You know, there's four or five of the funniest movies ever made. You know, we laugh or laugh, you know. But uh, if you've ever seen young Frankenstein in a movie theater, it's shocking how how much that movie kills second to second. Right. Uh I mean it's certainly right up there with you know, airplane and something about Mary or whatever. You know, are just for pure raucous pandemonium you know, jackass is one of those. If you watch mm-hmm. the jackass movies, it's madness in a the movie theater. I mean right. it's a gift from God. Yes. Yes. For the amount of joy it creates yes. to watch somebody, you know, get their head suddenly shaved yes. or absolutely you know, tossed out of something.
0: My kids dragged me to see Jackass kicking and screaming and I, we walked out. I said, you're generation one. You actually invented a new form of comedy and movies. So you wrote the <laughs> forward to, uh, for Mel Brooks's uh, book about Young Frankenstein. I didn't know until I read your forward that he came out with Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein in 1974 the same year. The same year. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, and the question when I read that, I went, I can't believe this. Is he having a good year? Was he on fire? <laughs> or were the stars, did something happen career-wise that that happened? How do you explain that? Because Mel Brooks is Mel Brooks.
7: Yeah. I think uh, that maybe Young Frankenstein started out as a Gene Wilder project that he had been working on. But at some point, he asked Mel Brooks to become a part of it. So maybe it was part of the way along, and then he came in and directed and did rewrites with him. And so it just happened quickly. Mm-hmm. And that happens sometimes where things just suddenly stack up. Like one movie gets delayed, the release, and another one moves fast, and then their release dates are in the same year, and it's not even that it all happened exactly at the same time. Like, we had knocked up and Superbad came out, like, one right after the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they wanted to put out Pineapple Express, like, three months later. And I'm like, I think that's too fast to just have, like, these three things. Or maybe there would have been a momentum to all three coming out. But he certainly was on fire right, uh, in, in that period, for sure.
0: Robin Williams said, success is like masturbating with sandpaper. so when you're is there a time like what what you're describing like Pineapple Express, knocked up 40 year old virgin, all that's happening is that an example I I don't, you don't have to answer this question I would assume that there are many points in a person's life when on paper everything looks great but then you look up and you go why does this uh, how do you avoid that how do you avoid uh, having something be good on paper in terms of your life, but then you look up and you go, why is this, like, scraping at my innards? I'm not saying that's what happened, but...
7: Like, are you happy when it's happening versus just... Because you, know, you can have things do well and be successful at the most miserable moment in your life. Or it can make your life more miserable while you... Can, can
0: success make you, make you go through a miserable time? Uh, Yeah, I think it's... Why does it make some people miserable? I I, I think it happens to everybody who tastes... What is it that's so painful about success? Well, I... I'd ask Greg, but neither one of... Neither Greg and I could answer that question. I was going to
7: say... How do you know that? Huh? Well, you know, I would say this, that the... You know, people tend to be happiest when they're, like, solid... Right, like I think, like the people who make like a hundred and fifty grand a year are, for the most part, probably happier than the uber wealthy, you know, and that's what they say. Like it really does create eight thousand other problems. And when you're not uber wealthy, it's easy to go, you know, fuck those people. Uh, But I think it does create an enormous amount of misery. There's something really nice about the climb and not having all of the other problems that right go with those things you
0: helped obama with his white house correspondence dinner yeah it wasn't the night he killed bin laden was it
7: it was yeah really you were there it was part of it it was part of the <laughs> well, it was It yeah, yeah. i it used to do a down. joke about that because i thought, you know when he was doing these jokes we wrote for the correspondence dinner it was the exact moment that he was murdering Osama bin Laden. That maybe you know that was like the decoy. Like, oh, Osama bin Laden felt relaxed because he's not going to do anything to me. He's doing stand-up <laughs> comedy at this show, and so I was part of this the team that was creating conditions to kill him. So I, I feel like I did it.
0: Yeah. So but wait a second. So you were planning the White House correspondence Dinner. That's a high-pressure situation. And he's going downstairs to the Situation Room to plan the assassination of Bin Laden. Who did you, was when you look back, was there a tell? Did you was there anything <laughs> that
7: he seemed happy that night? Uh, but in the meetings leading up to it, did, was there
0: something? Was he nervous? Was there?
7: Well, uh, well, that's not how I work on it. I, you know, my friend uh, John Lovett, uh, you know, I met at the correspondence Dinner one year. I was taking a tour of the White House. And on this tour, suddenly John Lovett appeared in a hallway and said, hey, how's it going? He introduced himself, said I'm literally in the room right now with the president working on the jokes for this speech, which was the next day. And I thought he would say, come on in. You're in comedy. You want to help us? And instead, he was like, well, nice to meet you, and sent me on my way. And I was kind of annoyed,
0: because
7: mm-hmm. clearly I should be in that room. Right. And, uh, and the
0: situation room with Pat killing Bin
7: Well, this was the year before that. This is the year before. And so I saw him at the party, and I really, I was drunk, and I'm like, you didn't want me in the room with the president. You knew I'd be funnier than you. You didn't want me in there. <laughs> and so I was just joking because the president was so funny that year that it was weird. It's like strange how good he is right. doing a comedic speech, a stand-up speech. So then the next year he called me out of the blue and said, can I send you the speech and kick around like some areas we're still trying to figure out? And... I said, I think you need to hit Trump harder.
0: Thanks for <laughs> that. So Thanks. Great.
7: Thanks. Thanks
0: a lot, Chad. <laughs> and
7: this was right like around when birtherism was just happening. Right. And I was disgusted by it. And I thought, you should really, like, you know, go at him. I mean, this is a really dangerous, terrible person. I was proven correct on that. Uh, and so we kicked around, you know, this joke where he talks about, The Apprentice, Mm -hmm. walk through an episode of The Apprentice, uh, uh, admiring Trump's leadership. Right. Uh, And that's the kind of thinking
0: you need in the Oval Office. Like, what would Gary Busey do? And that kind of thinking is what we need in the Oval Office. And you cut to Donald Trump, thanks to Judd Apatow, going like this, not laughing. I'll show. I'm going to run for... They say he decided to run for president.
7: Donald Trump says that, that that is not true. Of course, he's not going admit to admit it.
0: But you're responsible for you're responsible for the hell that this country is. You're personally responsible for Donald Trump.
7: I, I, you know, I I feel pretty good about the fact that I don't think that's the key to his decision making uh, because you know he has been flirting with it for decades. And it was clear that there wasn't anyone great about to run. I feel it was really more about the timing and who was looking to run for president. I don't think he loved it, but let me tell you something. Donald Trump certainly had been in a lot of rooms where people gave him shit in public settings. Right. I mean, he's, he's not someone that didn't get joked about a lot. Well, he did a uh,
6: roast. He was the roast. He was the honoree at the roast one year before that. Right. I wrote on that. I wrote on
0: that roast, and you weren't allowed to make fun of his wealth. You weren't allowed to say yeah. he wasn't wealthy.
7: He wasn't rich.
0: And it was suppo- the money was supposed to go to charity. And I've heard that he never gave it, that he kept oh, the money. Of course. Yeah,
7: but he's not allowed to have a charity. he would shut down all the right. charity stuff in New York as well. It was all a scam. I mean, he would literally steal the money and just pay for his own needs with, with the money. So, yeah, I, I truly honestly don't think that that's uh, what would motivate him. Hey, we all
0: have but to sleep at night. We all have to sleep. Stuff. All of us have to figure out a way not to feel bad about...
7: Yeah, the things we've done. The things you... Yeah,
0: you would. Yeah. There's a front line... I'll send you the front line documentary. Yeah. I'm being serious. He decided yeah. to run that night. He
7: saw that in the front line. But that's just something that you say. There isn't really a person in Trump world who says, you know what he talked to me, and he said, "I'm going to get that back." Like, there's not—that's just like a interpretation that some people have said. But it could be possible. But then again, you know, look what George Bush did. I mean, he invaded the Middle East, and uh, Donald Trump didn't invade the Middle East. So maybe I saved just an enormous amount of people with that yes. you know, joke. It's possible. It's yes. the opposite, and I am a very important part of history and stopping war. You know what I'm saying, David? Yeah.
0: Thank you for your service. (laughs) So there are uh, Neanderthals who get a bad rap. And then they're, uh, what are they called? Whatever, I don't know. Homosexuals. Homosexuals, right. And they're superior to the Neanderthals. When you're, because you have met the most, like, the Ubermensches of the world. You have. Uh, Mm -hmm. and are there two types of people like you walk into, you talk to Barack uh, you you meet Barack Obama and he is a different isn't he on a different evolutionary rung than most people he could not fathom our, our concerns if you explain to him that you know, I got a leaky faucet, and I'm worried about the water bugs. Mm-hmm. And I, but I mean, he, it would just be, what? You're not just speaking another language. You're, you're, it's like barking. It's like a, is that, is that a fair statement?
7: They're completely different, like good and evil. Is that what you mean? No, or just different. Just,
5: just different. That they don't,
0: they couldn't, like the difference between me. And I don't mean to trivialize the plight of the homeless, but unfortunately in New York you walk past homeless people, and I think the difference between me and this homeless, there's a great chasm of everything between me and this homeless person, but it's nothing compared to the chasm between me and, say, Barack Obama, just in terms of intellect, charm, wit, uh, what they worry about. I have more in common with the homeless person.
7: Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's my mother. I've
7: been around, uh, uh, been around him a, a, a teeny bit at a couple of events and events where he took questions, like small events, the way he would talk to people about issues. Yeah. And, you know, Seinfeld used to have that great bit about people who want to be president. You, you know, right. do they see the president on TV and they think, oh, I could do that. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, what that means, things that things like you want to take all that on. Right. And I think that, you know, obviously we're seeing some people that that seem like they're very corrupt in government um, or they're so intent on getting their point across and winning that they're willing to do bad things to do it. So somebody, Mitch McConnell might think, I'll suck it up on these issues because I want to win these issues and this is how the game is played. Right. And I always felt that uh, Barack Obama was, in his head, a realist who, who had a sense of the limitations of what he could accomplish and was trying very hard to just move the ball down the field in certain areas uh, as best as he could, knowing he was going to have to pass it off to someone really soon. So right. certain things were neglected and certain things were made the focus of what he saw as the accomplishments that he wanted to, to you know, to have happen during his administration.
0: Right. What is making you furious about the Democratic Party? It, to me, the mistake I make, and I'm making it up until January 20th of 2022, and then I'll go back to trashing Republicans because it's going to get serious. Mm-hmm. But right now is the season to be disappointed with the Democrats. You're a Democrat, right?
7: Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, I remember when we had the first. Uh assistance package uh, during the pandemic, and Andrew Yang had a tweet, and it just said, oh, I guess we did have some money. Hmm. And I thought, well, that's the whole thing, right? That It's all priority, you know, how much we're going to spend on the military versus paid family leave or paying for people to go to college. Uh, You know, George Carlin had that great line, like, we never try to solve homelessness because there's no money in it. Right. Uh, And that's the thing that's sad. And then you do see the Republicans are really organized to try to control all the state legislatures so they can rig a future election in some way. Uh, And we don't seem to be able to even get people that concerned about it. Like, they can't even get people scared of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what I find troubling. Like, is there a way to deal with January 6th in a much more aggressive way? Is it impossible to bring anyone in front of Congress to answer questions? I'm always fascinated that there's no way to get people to go in front of Congress to answer questions. That legally, you can't just go, no, you have to come.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: You know, there is no Benghazi committees for everything that's been happening. And in like the Republicans figured out all the little loopholes uh, to avoid all of that. And it, it seems like the Democrats, we can't get the voting rights through. We're not getting, you know, the health care through, and I think it's because maybe Democrats think, like, oh, we're not like that. We're not aggressive in that way. We're not. We so don't when you talk out the window,
0: right? So it, Hollywood has a lot of clout over Pelosi, Schumer. They they love Hollywood, not just because of the money. They like. They think something rubs off. You know, Schumer. Yeah. Was dancing with Colbert it wasn't even Hollywood, but they they just think there's something about Hollywood that makes them part of the cool kids. And does Hollywood help the Democratic Party or hurt it? I think it hurts the Democratic Party. The 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 money, the the glitter. Uh, Wait,
6: hold on, before you answer, I have to jump, I have to get on the 3 o'clock uh, podcast. Judd, good to see you. Can, can you storm off?
7: Good to see you, Greg. Can you storm can off?
0: You, can I storm off my own podcast? No, storm no, off, off this try. show. Like, this is, like, this is, like, what the, you're like, you're asking, Judd, you're asking me to stick around and you haven't asked me any questions. It's Not your fucking sidekick. It, it is a little fucking weird you
6: tell me to hang out. I
7: and mean, Yeah, turn on, on me. only you got to get more aggressive, Greg. That's what I think. You've yeah. got to get aggressive.
6: And you're looking at a guy who does the Adam Carolla show, where if you don't dive in, you will get you <laughs> yeah. will be sidelined for the entire time. Say, I'm not
0: your fucking security blanket.
6: <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and hang on. All right, David. I'll Thank talk, you. I'll see you soon, Let's so do this more often. Greg right, Fitzsimmons. You, Thank you. Definitely. Thank All right, you. Bye. Bye. Uh, We're talking with Judd Apatow, and uh, so we'll talk, uh, you have some time. uh, Yes, sir. uh, Back to, uh, if you could get Pelosi in a room, if you could get Schumer in a room, I would assume you have been in a room with them.
7: Not in rooms where we were talking about. About accomplishing anything. Usually in a room with a Dean and Menzel singing at a benefit or something. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like, other uh, yeah, I mean, so well, she's,
0: we'll she's in Frozen. frozen. Talk about she's in Frozen right. and Nancy's face is frozen, so I see the appeal.
7: Uh, 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 yeah, you know, I think, you know, people are hesitant to talk about what's going wrong and. You know, if we control this much of the government and we can't get voting rights through, you know, what's the point of us? Uh, and, and that's scary that people become disillusioned that you had this moment. But I always knew that this would happen, which is Trump would just make a mess of everything, make a mess of the, you know, the pandemic response. Uh, and then he leaves, a Democrat comes in, and then you got to pay the piper. And if if you're the person sitting there holding the bag when the other guy leaves, then you look like, to, like right. you're not doing a good job. And someone mentioned this to me. Uh, I, I think it was like I was talking to David Frum right when Donald Trump was elected. And we were talking about like what might happen. And he said, what usually happens is the president tries to turbocharge the economy. And then usually it crashes. And they just hope that it will crash after they get reelected. Right. You know, that they can just, like, have it hang in there, uh, you know, all the policies to just keep it inflated in some way. Right. And then the next, you know, and then deal with it in the next administration. Right. And and obviously, there's some of it, because, you know, when the whole world doesn't work for a year and a half, how could the economy not be fucked? Mm-hmm. Right? We all sat in the house for a year and a half. Why would we think the economy would be this good after that? Right. Right. Has comedy,
0: what, what did you think? Let me just alert uh, our next We're running a little over. Uh, give me 15 more minutes with Judd Apatow, and then we're going to talk about the Chile elections, big elections in Chile, uh, that I think is going into a runoff. What did you hope for yourself in, let's say, two years from now, before COVID? And what what did you have planned, and two years later, how how many of those plans have you now just said, you know what, that was pre-COVID, that seems kind of, I I don't want to do that.
7: either Uh, either an ambition? I had a unique experience. You know, I was was about to put out The King of Staten Island when COVID started, and we were about to go to South by Southwest to show the movie, so I was very much in a, Let's see if I can get anyone to see this story that we worked on for the last few years. And so then suddenly we are promoting it on Zoom for months, just sitting on a couch. And we put it on online so people could right. buy it. And online. it was tremendously
0: and successful. And everybody, I mean, people love that movie. Yeah. It, everybody loved really that movie. Well. Yeah.
7: And uh, it was, you know, we were really proud of it and proud that it was about first responders. And then suddenly we were seeing all the first responders on television every night, and I I thought, well, it's nice that the movie talks about the importance of that, when we're watching all these nurses and doctors and everybody, you know, uh, taking risks to help people during the pandemic. And then I sat around for months and months and months and and just trying to get through it, wondering when it was going to end, and then at some point, I realized I need to make something else because I'm going to go insane sitting here, and I started writing a movie about the pandemic. So I wrote a comedy about the pandemic, uh, which I shot during the pandemic, which is called The Bubble. And it's on Netflix in April. And it's about a group of actors going to England to shoot a sequel to a dinosaur movie during the pandemic. Great. And, it, and it's, a, you know, a satire of of the ridiculous of that The constant you can't do that. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Right. No one needs a dinosaur movie during the pandemic. Uh, and and so that's what I did to distract myself, and I just finished it. And so now, I'm paying the Piper uh, of mental health in having right. avoided so much of it by just being obsessed with my dumb movie.
0: Now in terms of marketing that movie, is it in your best interest? In, for, in April, do we want COVID to still be in its full glory, or is it going to be more successful if COVID is waning or waxing? What are you hoping for with COVID vis of either success of your movie?
7: Well, the good thing about the movie is it's not in theaters, it's on Netflix, so I do not have to hope... Anyone pays for it, uh, which I like, you know, I don't want to be rooting for uh, everyone to go to the movie theater to see <laughs> this movie. I, I, It's really meant to be a way of saying to the audience, didn't the last few years, be, wasn't it just the worst, and here's, here's all I have to offer you as right. what I can give to you during this painful moment, which is something really silly. Right. That'll make you laugh for two hours, That where we can commiserate about how much it's done, about how just painful and terrible uh, it was. And so it's a really, I hope it's like a really funny, enjoyable couple of hours, because that's what I noticed during the pandemic. That's all I have to give to people. Is And
0: COVID. You can give COVID if you don't get vaccinated. You can give
7: that as well, but yeah. if like, I stay in the house, I won't. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's my offering, to the world and people would say to me like oh thanks I, I watched whatever one of your movies and it was nice when we were all stuck in the house and, and I thought well that's really all I have <laughs> so that's, that's it for me is I could give you a guy getting whacked Right. you're feeling down maybe I can like fill a few minutes of your time
0: that's fantastic the best I ever get is you were really great because my wife hates you i was like i'm serious the nicest compliment i ever got is my
7: wife i feel like it really is all the same like i've listened to way more of you than you would ever believe and again it's it is the same thing like the hours and hours of pleasure i got listening to your show during the pandemic where i would just laugh like how long is this show gonna get it's insane (laughs) three hours then it's four hours then it's six hours and but i was so thankful you know, to have it like a friend. Oh, thank uh, you. You know, during it. And I think that is what we do, right? Like right. in different ways, in different mediums, you know, we offer ourselves up in some way.
0: Yeah. That's, thank you for saying that. Let me ask you, let me return the favor by asking you a hard question.
7: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh,
0: the King of Staten Island, there's mm-hmm. a theme. You don't have to answer this because it's going to put you in an awkward position.
7: I like it. I like it. Let's get real here. There's a scene. Off up
0: until this point. There's a scene where a pharmacist is banging his coworker, and some people break into the pharmacy, and he pulls a gun nervously and fires it. And this is a yeah. pharmacist, and he's obviously the pharmacist has obviously never fired the gun, and he's firing the gun the yep. actor who played the pharmacist who's going to be up later on to robert smigel mm-hmm. was terrified of the gun i'm not gossiping i'm not you know yeah what are the protocols for using a a gun uh in a comedy there's no way the gun is going to be uh, re- what are the the there's no way there would be a live round inside of it. How creepy is it when there's a gun on your set?
7: Well, with this new movie we did, The Bow, there's a lot of guns in it. And we just used rubber guns and didn't have any uh, blanks. So we just said, let's say, little flashes in posts and sound effects. The only reason why you ever would use a real uh, gun, or not a real gun, but a gun where you're shooting blanks, is, you know, there's some sort of kickback or the noise that might affect performances or how it how it looks. And I think you could feel that the industry is like, we can do that without the blanks. So quickly, hopefully, it goes in that direction. And in the times when we have, you know, used guns with blanks, you know, it's really all about having the best possible people who know how to do it. And if you think about how many movies have had that, you know, Thousands of movies, millions and millions of rounds. When you do it properly, the danger is, is you know, infinitesimal. But if you don't follow the rules, if you do it incorrectly, obviously, it's very, very dangerous. Uh, And I hope that the industry just says, well, let's not do that again. I think they did. I go in that position again. Uh, I
0: think they did. It sounds like it's not a problem. Sounds like most movie sets follow the protocol that they already know.
7: Every time I've ever had a gun on set, which is only a few times, uh, we've all just behaved as if it was a real gun. Right. And so you, you know, someone shows you the gun, someone else looks at the gun, a third person looks at the gun. You test the gun. I mean, there is a process that when followed should not allow for the possibility that a live round could get in a gun. That's something that's hard to understand. And when, When, you know, like anything in life, if you don't check, there's a potential for something terrible to happen. And the truth is, you're supposed to check like three times. You're supposed to let the actors and actresses check. Uh, It's supposed to move very slowly. I think like part of the problem is when you're working on something where there's limited money and limited time, things speed up and steps disappear sometimes. And, and that's where it gets very, very dangerous. Let
0: me ask you one difficult question. You know, let, it a, let me ask you another difficult question. You don't have to answer it. It was a seven million dollar production shoot. It, 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 Rust was seven million dollars for production. That's a lot of money for a small little film, right?
7: Well, it's, it's really more about what is the film? Uh, what does the film require?
0: But there are other budgets, we, right? We,
7: we, we made the big six for $5 million, but there's no action in it. Right. There's no horses in it. And so uh, we were able to shoot that movie in 25 days. And, right. But and there are different budgets, problems. right? If you had action, it takes a lot of time.
0: Are there are different, but like there's a $7 million shooting budget, but there's also a pre-production budget, a post-production, right? When they talked about the shooting budget on Rust... They said that the production budget was $7 million just to shoot the film, part of the pun. So,
7: well, it depends on, you know, what you're spending the money on. I mean, you could spend a lot of money on personnel, on your cast, on producers. I mean, it's just the rates of everybody, you know, whatever the rates right. are, will determine how much is spent on the day, how large the crew is. You know, one of the big issues that people discussed there was, how many people were working in the props and armory department, and, and it seems like they were one person short of what they should have had. Right. Uh, and that that's what makes it more dangerous.
0: And there were too many children of bankers who wanted to be producers who were collecting a huge salary because they have money and they want to be close to show business, but That's how...
7: To me, me, that's not the issue. The issue is anybody can speed up and do a bad job. Right. Any producer can not make sure that you're following the right protocols for safety. Right. You know, it's really, it's a very individual mistake of what you want to put people through. Right. Uh, You know, there has to be someone who says, let's slow down. Hey, we've had a couple of problems. In the last few weeks something is going wrong let's have a meeting about it right. how are we handling uh, these these props? how, how are we checking what, right. what went wrong last time you're not hearing about those details that's what it would be interesting to hear Is that when they had problems in the past did they make an adjustment of any time
0: right uh, we have four more minutes and by the way thank you for doing this and Judd will be at Largo December 7th with Beck and he's raising money for two charities. One of them is Pacific Pups, and the other is, is it 286? I didn't get the numbers right. What's the
7: what? uh, 826, which provides free, ch- uh, free tutoring for, for, for kids who need it.
0: Right. And that's with David Eggers.
7: Yes, that's his organization. Yeah. And why this is book, it? sick uh, in the Head, all the money from those books of interviews I do with comedians goes to 826.
0: Right. You had been hoping. I, I remember reading that you had wished 95% went into the JetAppacal Vacation Trust. I believe is Yeah.
7: I didn't realize that people will say proceeds from this book goes to this charity, and then the, people don't know how much actually goes. I thought you had to give all of it, so I just give all of it. I didn't realize you could keep it vague, you know, and then get a get some back. I'm
0: vacation. starting my own religion. So we, maybe I can make you an, an archbishop. Uh, but before we plug the hell out of Pacific Pups, and so we can make this worth your while on 826 L.A., Kyle Rittenhouse and Parkland, you were, I don't want to say, intimately involved with the, the victims of Parkland. Is that fair to say?
7: Yeah, I, I, you know, I helped out on a, on a documentary. Right. Um, and... Uh, Know some of those people, and yeah, it's one of those heartbreaking issues that I think eighty percent of the country is really comfortable with smart gun control and gun safety, and it doesn't ever get done the way that it should get done. And so now we're just in this insane situation where people are like, "Well, what can you even do now?" Uh, And the truth is, if you have hundreds of millions of guns floating around the country all sorts of terrible things are going to happen and obviously there's a way to have a logical amount of guns and a way that we track the people who have them people who beat up their spouses shouldn't have access people who have mental health issues shouldn't have access and uh, we don't seem to ever make that a priority, it becomes a wedge issue as opposed to what is the common sense way to make it safer in this country.
0: Right right is that the issue that just makes is it, there are certain issues that i i just get like i want to like what i there's no country that will take me i'm stuck here and i think yeah. what, maybe there's a national character and i'm not i'm just not this isn't the right fix for me because when you think back to parkland or, or newtown you think okay this is a tragedy but something good will come from it. And it's gotten worse. Well
7: that's what I think has broken all our hearts is the realization that no matter how bad it is we're not going to do it and that's also the issue with climate change. It's it's all very short term selfish thinking and people aren't willing to make sacrifices uh, for the good of everybody and I think that's been revealed not just in our country, in a lot of countries, people are just way more self-concerned uh, than they are worried about all of us doing right. well. And, and for me, the issue that drives me the craziest is you know, Donald Trump making choices about how to handle the pandemic to make, you know, blue states suffer. You know, right. To to take care of. You know his uh, political needs before saving lives, and and the country doesn't seem that mad about it. You know he he really abandoned all the governors. He didn't want to be responsible for what was happening, and he made choices for political reasons. And the country isn't furious about it. I mean, the country isn't even that furious about January sixth. So that to me is what has been revealed: the lack of the lack of concern, the lack of uh, fury uh, about important things that have happened in the last two years. And then you go, wow, what? What would people be furious? Well, about?
0: like in sick in the head you write about, you say you were an angry kid growing up. I think mm-hmm. there's a recurring theme about anger in the stuff you write about, uh, at least in sick in the head, the, 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 the you know, mm-hmm. tempering rage. I think yeah. great. I think great comedians are the ones who don't let you see the rage inside of them you've I'm going to just assume like most adults you've spent a lifetime tamping down your anger and your rage and you know you you tell your wife great news I didn't send the email I didn't send it I wrote it but I didn't send the email I'm getting you know uh, (laughs) that's great I'm so proud of you you didn't send that email uh so we're, we've spent our whole lives as comedians, comedy writers, adults, tamping down our id, our rage. And then you see the looting that's going on up in Walnut Creek, Louis Vuitton, in San Francisco. Uh, should there be? I'm not condoning looting, but... Uh, uh, but We should be angrier, right? As a nation, we've been conditioned to tamp down our rage issues. Here's some medicine. So you're not angry. Uh, We should be angry,
7: right? Well, I mean, we could disagree on how to resolve certain issues, but I think it's just gotten to a different level lately. And there's a lot of people, you know, who say, we'll never solve any of these problems. Right. If everyone isn't, if everyone's angry. And I, I, in a lot of ways, feel like it's the opposite. I feel like people are not worked up enough. Right. Uh, you know, what, remember when Donald Trump said, you know, there's only a few cases of, of COVID and it's about to go to nothing. And we all knew we were heading into a nightmare. Right. And he didn't want to count how many people had COVID on the boat. So he didn't want to let anyone in off of a cruise ship because then the number would go up. And it was so clear, oh, this isn't about solving it. This is only about you don't want to look back. Right. Is there anything that would make you crazier than that, that the rage at someone who is willing to let hundreds of thousands of people die for the appearance of his success? Right. And I don't think that's a Republican or Democratic issue. So I don't understand why Republicans wouldn't be equally as angry at their family right. and the people who, who die as well. Uh and so I'm just confused by by it you all know, because now that Trump is gone, at least for the moment and hopefully for ever, I just think I was really scared of having a lunatic responsible for everything. But there's something maybe even more deeply troubling about people who maybe aren't crazy but are willing to win at all costs and do anything to get what they want. And that doesn't mean there aren't Democrats who are the same way. Uh, But that's a little terrifying. The people who understand how government works can really slow it down, Can really make sure things can't get accomplished, like when Mitch McConnell admitted he wanted Obama to accomplish nothing. He wanted him to literally achieve nothing. And when he achieves nothing, people just suffer. Like, the country suffers. We're supposed to want the president, regardless of what party he's with or she's with, to succeed and i think as soon as that became okay for the other side to say we want you to not be able to do anything so we can get back in power then the country doesn't work because that's not how it's supposed to work if the president says something that you agree with you should support the fact that he's trying to do that
0: last question i promise you're at the farmer's market on Mm -hmm. tax hanging out me Garland, uh, 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 Greg Fitzsimmons, were just hanging out and they start looting. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can they've already looted, but, you know, the windows are broken. The Apple Store, American Girl, Louis Vuitton, mm-hmm. or Dubois, du- du- <laughs> du- <laughs> where do I run in? <laughs> <laughs> <There> you
7: go?
0: <laughs> where do you run in first?
7: That's a very good question. That, that's that's worth the thought. Like, what would I do in that in that moment?
0: I mean, it would be rude it's not fun. that you're there at the grove and yeah. the windows. It would be insulting not to take something. It's, you know, it's it's like not eating. Or, or
7: what if I help them, you know, bring some stuff back in the store? Hoping they'd give me a free one, right? <laughs> <laughs> like if I help them take all the American Girl dolls back into the store, help them clean up, maybe at the end of the day they'd give me like one of those, you know, the DVDs of the movie about mm-hmm. one of the American Girl dolls. That's that's what I would do. I would I would help, but really in a self-serving way to get a legal free thing. Yeah,
0: good answer. Go to, go see this man. We've only scratched the surface. Thank you for doing this. Judd Apatow will be at Largo in Los Angeles, December 7th, with Beck. And go see this man perform. And you're raising money for two very, very important causes. They are Pacific Pups and 826LA. Thank you so much for doing this. Please come back. So much. Thank you, sir. Thank you.
7: Say thank hello you. to Robert Smigel. I will. And we spent a lot of time together talking about Zohan.
0: Yes, so it's a great movie. A man. Thank you. All right, take care, so Chud Apatow. Thank you. I apologize to Davey Mammel, Dr. Davey Mammel, for keeping you waiting. You have, you have 40 minutes. I apologize. We had <laughs> late. Our guests were late tonight, and we're running a little behind. So I'm going to turn this over to you. I understand there were big elections in Chile over the weekend. Yeah. Do we have yeah. a result we yet? It, it was big.
8: Yeah. No, I did fight uh, Carol, Aldo, and uh, Boris to turn on yeah. their cameras uh, to and join the con and turn off the yes. microphone. Uh, turn on their microphones to join the conversation. Yes. Thank,
0: Thank you for being patient. Uh, we we doing we do the show live and things. Davey Mamble comes to us from Toronto, and he's my son. He's uh, <laughs> you are my son basically, right? I, I do play your son on the show, yes. Yes, okay. Hi everyone. Ottawa.
8: I'm in Ottawa, Ontario. <laughs> Ottawa, that's Toronto. That's right. <laughs> okay,
0: sorry, but we, we have all the guests, correct?
8: We do, we do. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'll I'll first introduce uh Carol Conchabel. Uh she is a Hi. writer specializing in uh Latin America and in indigenous indigenous rights. She's also the founding member of the Chile Solidarity Network and is the press officer, I believe, for the Mapuche International Link. Uh, she has also been a contributor to The Guardian, Jacobin, Current Affairs, as well as a no- number of other journals. Uh, we also have uh, Boris Sanderstack with us, who is a Dutch journalist living in Chile. He is the founder and editor in chief of Chile Today, Chile's uh, premier English language news source. Uh, he has also been a contributor to Al Jazeera, uh, NRC, the newspaper of record in the Netherlands, and numerous other outlets. And last and certainly not least, we have Aldo Madariaga, who is a professor at the School of Political Science at the Diego Portales University in Santiago. He's also affiliated, affiliated with the Center of uh, for social conflict, conflict and cohesion in Santiago, Chile, although is the author of the award winning book, Neoliberal Resilience Lessons in Democracy and Development from Latin America and Eastern Europe. Thank you guys so much for being here.
1: Hi, Dave. Thanks for having
3: me. I can put my camera on. I'm sorry. It says that since you deactivated it,
8: It's you who has to give me permission again. Oh, yeah, that would be David Feldman or Dan that would have to do that for us. Right. They'll get it back up. Um, So... We had a very tight election, we've had a very tight election race in uh, Chile, uh, probably one of the most divisive ones since Chile's return to democracy in 1990. Uh, Last night no party was able to take a majority, uh, so the two coalitions will be contending for the presidency in a runoff election on December 19th. So those two coalitions are the left coalition, A Pueblo uh, Dignidad, uh, approved dignity, uh, led by uh, Gabriel Bort, and the far-right coalition, the Christian Social Front, led by Jose Antonio Kast, uh, who were each able to take over 25% of the national vote. The right-wing coalition appeared to be slightly in the lead last night, and it's expected that Cast will be uh, picking up a lot of support from other center-right voters in uh, the upcoming runoff. Um, so we've seen the left coalition facing a lot of problems in the recent recent weeks, which may be slowing down some of their momentum. Uh, this includes uh, sexual assault allegations uh, against uh, Gabriel Boric, uh, a split in the communist wing of the coalition over the re-election of uh, Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua, and uh, growing discontent amongst some voters over street demonstrations, uh, which are very much supported uh, by uh, the left in the country. Uh, so... Are they going to be able to pick that momentum back up and could we see Borch drop the Communist Party as a tactic to do this? us. I'll start with you, uh, since you've been on the ground uh, reporting on this uh, election campaign since it began.
9: Uh, well, I very much doubt that Borch is going to be able to um, get enough votes to win the presidency, the minimum to win the presidency in Chile in the second round, most of the time is 3.5 million. Um, and the big problem Borch is having at the moment is that he can't reach voters outside of his left-wing bubble. So he has the alliance with the Communist Party and the Friend Amplio, which is a very strong alliance, um, more or less 1.8 million voters there. Um, but what he needs to do right now is kind of rewrite his program and focus more on the center-left, because that's where the voters are that he needs, um, which will cause friction in the alliance, because the Communist Party and the center-left, they're not the best of allies. Um, so it's going to be very tough to keep everyone happy for Boric and the Friend Amplio in recent years. It's not very well known for making good alliances. Um, and the other problem, or what Boric should be focusing at at the end is um, looking for the people that didn't go out voting because there's still like 50% of the electorate in Chile that stay at home, whether it's this election, whether it's during the referendum um, in 2019 in, in the elections of 2017 it's really hard for basically every politician to move those voters. So Boris should target those and the center-left while trying to keep his Communist Party allies uh, happy. And to do all that in four weeks' time, that's a hell of a challenge. This is very difficult Um <laughs> yeah. because on the right wing there are these challenges. So for me, I consider it a very difficult task for Boris to uh to be able to do it in four weeks. you would need at least three months to do that.
8: Mm-hmm. Carol, do you have any uh, thoughts on that?
1: Um, I think I mainly agree with Boris. Um, the thing is that we have a bit of a mystery here because there's 52 percent of people that didn't engage with the vote. Now, we know that tactically the right always goes out to vote. So those 52% votes are up for grabs. I also think that... Um, it's a tactical uh, measure uh, by the far left that feel very disengaged. You know, as soon as these things, you know, went from the street and then there was this kind of pact, um, and that's where the left kind of fell out of love with Constantinople, not that they ever were in love with Constantinople, because a, a series of repressive measures, um I mean, we already have a completely draconian system. You know, all protest is practically criminalised, but then we have Amplio and, and other so-called left-wing, uh, parties voting, you know, to, you know, for the barricade law, which basically means anyone who obstructs traffic or, you know, puts a handkerchief on their face goes to prison for years and years and years. And there are people still languishing in prison. We have hundreds of political prisoners, um, languishing in Chilean jails who so have fallen through the cracks because, you know, previously there was this kind of international solidarity movement now this fake democracy kind of uh, began in the 1990s, these sort of um, solidarity networks were disbanded. But, you know, the repression has continued uh, unabated because none of what was installed during the dictatorship has been touched by any of the presidents, Even the so called left leaning ones like Michel Bachelet, who actually mm-hmm. introduced very repressive measures, even, you know, getting the FBI to um, spy on the Mapuche community. So, I mean, mm. you know, there's this big kind of problem, which is voter opposite. We can't say that Chilean people are stupid and that they're voting for this fascist. No, what is happening is that the right are preserving their model, so they go out and vote in droves, the left, or disenchanted with the political class so they don't engage um, and that's the situation I I think that there's a lot of um, terror and panic at the moment on the networks and everyone's freaking out you know, uh, what a Catherine will be catastrophic for immigrants catastrophic for the left catastrophic for indigenous communities for, you know, for the environment which is, you know a, a sore point, you know, because not only are Uh, these harsh neoliberal policies, Uh, not only have they eroded human rights, but they're also eroding the planet. So, you know, it's a very scary time. And I think that there will be a kind of push to galvanize and come together. Um, And it's always been like this. I mean, you know, in 1988 with the Novo, I mean... You know, they've made films about this and it was all like, oh, this glorious death moment. No, it wasn't. That was pacted. You know, they set it out in 1980. It's a game. And people in Chile know it's a game and they don't want to engage because it doesn't matter, you know, who is in La Monera. Repression continues, you know, low standard of living continues. Um, so, you know, you have a, 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 a kind of, completely destroyed left that's trying to pick up the pieces. We have these, like, student leaders that, to me, they don't really encompass in Pueblo, you know, because <laughs> studying is an elite for Chile yeah. anyway. Yeah. Because these are a bunch of, like, you know, hipsters as far as the people that are really trying to lead the revolution, you know, are concerned. So, for me, this was a sort of protest vote. Now, I yeah. have hopes, you know, it's always been a nail-biter it might happen that, you know, Boric will win because, you know, Cast is a modern pinochet. He's worse yes. than he yeah, he, a modern pinochet. He comes a He said
8: that he dark, very much admired
1: They don't just admire pinochet, They were involved in the civic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, I forget the name, because of, you know, the Spanish, la dictadura um, civico the You know, there were civilians involved in the Cast family are not called the the Nazis of Spain there for no reason. You know, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that these people were involved in human rights violations. But who isn't in the presidency? Yeah. Who hasn't been involved in human rights violations from Bachelet downwards? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's a protest vote, and I'm really hoping that these groups will galvanise and actually make the sensible choice here.
8: mm mm-hmm. Uh, although I do want to get your opinion on this, is 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 is, is, is there any hope for uh, for the left coalition? Can uh, Boris uh, recover? Uh, yeah, I
3: would um, say. I mean, there are chances. There are chances. It's it's going to be difficult because, as as Boris uh, was saying, um, the right will find it much more easier to to get together. I mean, the, the phantom of, of communism. Uh, is there. They're playing this card. And I mean, it's always been there. And even yesterday, when, when Kat did his, his, speech, you know, after winning the, the, the first round, he was saying, we have to defeat Boris and the communists. Boris and the communists. So for, for him, it, it's always Boris and the communists. And the communist party, they, they have been trying to, to put the communist party behind him, you know, as, as a master of puppets there. Um, so they have really, um, uh, took some people at the center, uh, out, right? I mean, Christian Democrats and, and people at the center are very much afraid of candidates. Uh, that said, I, they still have to take part of the votes that now went to this, outside uh, outsider candidate, um, Parisi. We still don't know what those voters are, and I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. I mean, I think the, 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 the big problem now, and, and, and my angle would be that we don't exactly know who goes to vote and who doesn't go to vote. Uh, I think there's a, 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 a percentage of people that tend to go to vote, and then another important chunk of people that go in and out. Okay? And we don't know exactly who those are. And especially we don't know who the people that don't go to vote are. Now there was 53% of people that didn't go to vote. For the plebiscite, it was 51 it's, it's a difference of 500,000 people that didn't go to vote now. They didn't feel mobilized to go to vote. But I don't think they're particularly leftist people. We, we actually don't know whether they vote for the left or they vote for, for the right. Um and if you see, uh, historically, uh, Chile is not, uh, especially leftist. You know, I don't think those people will feel motivated if you have a full left platform, uh, program in. Um, I think they felt motivated to go to vote uh, for the uh, and the Constitutional Assembly because they felt that the moment was there to grab a little bit of power, to participate, and they think they understand participation in a different way as the traditional parties have done in all this time. So the the real question for me uh, uh, is how can voice uh, re-motivate, uh, mobilize those people that felt mobilized to go to vote uh, for the plebiscite and those that haven't uh, felt the motivation to go. Because going to the center, we know how many votes there are in the center and, and we know that that's going to cost him his credibility. Uh, are maybe one of the biggest points for him more than being too leftist for the center or too uh, centrist for, for the left is being consistent. Many people think that he's not consistent. If we were consistent, you know, just consistent, uh, he's consistently uh, changing views because he's, he feels they need to accommodate either to the center or to the left and don't lose both uh, by, by you know, subscribing to certain things. India, he, has said, it, he
8: has said in an interview before that he would govern towards the center, hasn't he?
3: I think he has, uh, and he has done it throughout the, the, this last part of the campaign. Uh, now the real question, as, as Boris was saying, I think he's right, and, and, and Carol as well, if she either goes all the way to the center to conquer the, the, the Christian Democrat vote, and I think that's, that's uh, a, a dead end, uh, but then what has she cannot also just go for a far-left, uh, you know, a real-left uh, alternative. She has to try to conquer those votes That we don't know exactly who they are. That's the real question. I mean, if he manages, he may be able to to turn around the election um, next time. Yeah, in the run-off.
8: Perfect. Uh, Carol, I did want to go back to uh, one thing uh, that you were talking about uh, earlier. Uh, So Mapuche land rights are are an important issue in uh, Chile. Uh, The Mapuche, of course, being the largest indigenous group in the country, I believe, uh, they have been facing a lot of violence from the state over protection of their own land. Uh, The government has been using counterterrorism laws against them, which are holdovers from the Pinochet years. Uh, Some of the the tactics that the government uses against these groups, have been compared to the human rights uh, rights, uh, Having been compared by human rights organizations to those used by is the Israeli military against Palestinians. Um, wh- I was wondering what the two the, 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 the two, co- the, the two l- largest coalitions there, the left and right coalition, uh, are, uh, are, are saying about indigenous rights uh, during this election.
1: So far, nothing. And, you know, it doesn't really matter who's in power when it comes to indigenous rights. I mean, like I stated in, you know, in 2009, uh, Michelle Bachelet, who's supposed to be a socialist and you know, who came with big fanfare as a socialist, you know, back from exile, uh, from Germany. came back and basically deepened the model. And another thing she did was, um, to arrange for a U.S. assistance in spying on the Mapuche because they were convinced and, and they wheel this out every single election. So every single election, there's the enemy within and it's usually the Mapuche. Um and it's really benefited Cast actually because he's from the South. Uh he has links with landowners, they're very much linked with the Pinochet regime. Um the Pinochet regime actually in nineteen seventy four passed a decree seven oh one which allowed uh for the land that was um, previously expropriated by the agenda administration to be taken back to landowners, but not just that. I mean they did this extensively robbing Mapuche land. Um and I've got some figures here. Basically, uh, this, 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 uh, the forestry industry has been sub- subsidised by the Chilean taxpayer tax uh, since 1974. Uh, they have been paying for 70% uh, of plantation costs, and all of the profits have been going back to two families connected to the Pinochet regime, which are the Mazda and Angelini. Um I mean, basically, Chileans out of their own pocket have shelled out 800 million. Uh, dollars of taxpayers' money just to benefit, um, these mono, uh, cultivations which are destroying the land. Uh, basically these lands were taken. This is two million hectares in the hands of two families. All of that previously belonging to, uh, Mapuche people and also small landowners. So you can imagine, uh, the devastation, uh, not just in terms of displacing these people. And Biden, mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't just. Off. Yeah. Yeah, of it course.
8: In, in, in Canada, that's a huge issue right here, right now. Uh, right now, uh, we're, we're, this weekend, we've actually seen some uh, massive protests uh, in support of the, uh, the Wet'suwet'en uh, land, uh, the, the people there. Um, right now, even in Ottawa, I just got word uh, from uh, some people that I organized with that uh, we're actually blocking one of the made up. I'm not, but they are blocking a major highway in Ottawa. Right now we've you know, seen cars set on fire to block railways. So no, this is this is a very important issue across the Americas
1: for sure. Well, they've done a sterling job because what they've done is used the media to demonize the Mapuche, so the Mapuche are terrorists. So you next to the word mm-hmm. Mapuche appears terrorist, next to the word Mapuche appears far. It's all bullshit. There's absolutely no evidence that um there is any kind of international financing. Actually, last this month, um, myself and um, another chap I work with who's Mapuche. I mean, basically, Mapuche International Link is just a group of people uh, headed up by a Mapuche pensioner, you know, and we've been accused by the Argentinian press, you know, named and shamed as financing terror, you know, as part of some mastermind by the British who, you know, are still pissed off about the Falklands. They will invent anything to demonise uh, the Mapuche struggle. Um, and you know, there was um an envoy uh called Paul Simons, uh, who in two thousand and nine this this was actually brought out through the the WikiLeaks um scandal, the leak or whatever, um, newspapers appeared where actually, you know, actually they called them in and they had a good old look, you know, at the FBI and they said, Look, there's nothing going on here you know, most of the demonstrations are peaceful, there is a little bit of sabotage. They do burn trucks and stuff, but they they own that. They say we're gonna do acts of sabotage. What else can you do when you're dispossessed? But as far as the Mapuche concerned, it doesn't really matter who's in power. You know, they will be killed, they will be demonised, they will be imprisoned. And until, you know, the whole system is is changed and until they revoke um those uh terror laws that you know allow for kangaroo courts anyone can come and say I saw you you know shitting in the garden somewhere uh, and there's nothing you can do they'll haul you in and say yeah it's true He did it and you Mm -hmm. won't even know who the witnesses are Um, and that's how they are actually um, imprisoning Mapuche leaders we've got spiritual leaders in there we've got community leaders in there I mean even one of the members of the constitutional uh, body the uh, uh, the CC I don't know how you call it in English um Matthew Francisco was accused of, of murder and imprisoned. Um so there wasn't that much sympathy with the Mapuche cause because Chileans are very nationalistic and quite chauvinistic in that sense. You know, like these people, you know, trying to create a state within a state. It's only during actually during the uprising that we start to see Mapuche symbols coming out and the sort of the left and feminists and other groups. Um being vocal about their support for them. That seems to have gone away, you know, just that the riots have quietened down, that seems to have quietened down, and the repression's still going on. Um, it's no coincidence that on the 12th of October, just as the elections, you know, are about to begin, you know, election period's about to begin, uh, Sebastian Piñera declared a state of emergency. We have a state of emergency in the south of Chile. It is literally like Palestine. You have 2,000 troops with drones, helicopters, you know, state-of-the-art equipment. Um, the military is heavily subsidized. They're one of the richest militaries in the world. For what? They're not fighting any wars. Yeah. The only people uh, they're fighting are indigenous communities in the south.
8: Yeah, I do want to get Boris and Eldo's, uh opinion on, on, on this, uh, something related to this, uh, very quickly. Um, speaking of Palestine, uh, uh, I, and, and perhaps maybe a little bit of a utopian thinking on my part, uh Do you think things could be different – Boris, we'll start with you, then go to Aldo. Do you think things could be different in uh, a a utopian Daniel Jadwe presidency?
9: Um, Well, apart from looking at the presidencies, we shouldn't be looking at what the Constitutional Convention is doing right now, um, because there is actually a possibility that the situation for the indigenous people in Chile might change. Um, First of all, the body is uh, presided by a Mapuche woman. There are several indigenous um, representatives from basically all indigenous people aboard there, and um, including indigenous rights is one of the things they want to uh, um, put in the new constitution. And if you compare it, for example, with New Zealand, uh, they came to a certain level that even rivers and uh, forests uh, were legal people. So you basically couldn't uh, build a road next to, over a river because it was a legal person. So uh, Chile is heading, of course, um, I think towards a better direction with the constitution. Also, if you look at these the presidential uh, elections that we have right now. They are important, but the, the role that the convention is playing here um, might have a lot of influence on the whole political process here in Chile, and especially on the role of the president and the Senate. Um, so, of course, it's a process that takes a lot of time. Um, if you look at the power that the forestries have here in the south and the connections they have to the elite in Chile, it's very, very difficult to disrupt a system like that. Um, the, if you look at the way things are going, yes, yeah, things are improving, um, for indigenous people if you look at it long term. But if you look at it, we, of course, have a disastrous administration with the Pinera government who's been, uh, violating human rights during the protests in the south in various regions. Um, but I think things heading, uh, are heading a, a better way. If you, uh, to respond to your question about the presidency, um, it will be. He will be facing a lot of resistance here in Chile because, thanks to uh, 30 years of propaganda against the Communist Party, there is a lot of uh, resistance against Communists. I mean, you see it with Gus yesterday. Basically, his whole slogan is "Let's defeat the Communists." Pierre in 2017 got elected, basically because he was saying that his opponent would turn Chile into Venezuela, um, and of course, the big elites also from outside, from the United States, the World Bank, or name it, there will be a lot of resistance against a communi- communist president. Um, he mm-hmm. did really well as a mayor of Recoleta. But running a country is very different than running a city. You see it in Mexico as well. I mean, he did a really good job as the mayor of, the, of uh, Ciudad of Mexico. But as a president, it's turning out to be quite a different job. So um, I think... Maybe that someday we will see a communist president here in Chile. I would definitely support it, um, but I also am very much aware of the power the free market has here in Chile, and a communist president would face a lot of obstacles there.
8: Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I have one last question, uh, although I'll, I'll start with you since uh, you haven't got the answer for a while. Um <coughs> Uh, Gabriel Boric uh, has throughout his campaign said that if he wins, uh, that it will be the death of neoliberalism in Chile. Uh, this is kind of reminiscent of the saying neoliberal, neoliberalism was born in Chile and it will die in Chile. Uh, has also stated as elected he will govern towards the center. We covered that earlier. Um of course we know Antonio Katz is a dirty fascist. Um and, uh, so what, what, what does, what what would either of them winning mean for neoliberalism in Chile? forage wins, would that actually be the death of uh, neoliberalism in Chile? And, and and what does it look like for Chile and the region if uh, José Antonio cast wins?
3: Okay, so two two complex questions. Uh, First, what <laughs> what happens if forage wins? Does neoliberalism die? No, I think not. Not because he doesn't want to. I don't know. He may want, uh, but he doesn't have enough power. I mean, just a study. He doesn't have the Congress to do that. Um, the Congress that just got elected is the Congress. With, I mean, the right had a, a very important uh, uh, vote uh, in the Senate. We control probably mm-hmm. the Senate. Uh, the, the 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 chamber is split, but he will not have enough votes to 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 change many of the things that that need to be changed maybe the the constitutional assembly the constitutional convention will do it Uh, but then you you would still have institutional changes but you don't change the structures of society through institutions in the long run you may do that you that may get you to change structures but in the short run uh, that doesn't do that and the biggest Problem for changing, uh, for, for, you know, um, ending neoliberalism is, um, employers, business, right? Business are not so, are not only very powerful economically, they monopolize, uh, most of the economic sectors, very few companies. Uh, control, um, uh, a lot of resources that gives them a lot of political power and they can uh, influence politics through the most different channels that you can imagine. Uh, so they will work, um, without the hesitation to, uh, not only uh, erode whatever gains, uh, we get from a possible Boris government. Uh, that goes also for the question with power They would do exactly the same, but even more virulent. Uh, but also with the constitutional uh, convention, uh, we still will have to vote for the new constitution once the convention gets the new constitution. Right. And businesses will uh, be very uh, adamant and very tough and use all the resources to uh, to prevent that from happening and to uh, maintain the Pinochet uh, constitution. Because if if that vote fails, if that plebiscite uh, fails, then we will get the Pinochet Constitution again. So, I mean, I think that's the the key thing, it's businesses. And if that wins, then, I mean, it will be a very bad moment for for Chile, and I think it will give a very bad impression to the rest of the region, thinking that Chile, you know, it it was driving towards a a different direction, showing that neoliberalism is not the way, and that the people you know, uh, reacts very strongly against it when, you know, when when leaders come here, and it would show the complete opposite
8: thing. So it would be very bad for Chile and for the Mm -hmm.
5: Mm -hmm.
8: Uh, region. Do you expect uh, any of this uh, momentum on the, the left or the right to kind of carry over into the Brazilian elections, which are coming up in about a year? I, I mean, this this
3: gets a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, the spirit of the moment, uh, but I think these elections are very much uh, won uh, on the national level. There are many For national sure. issues. I mean, in, in Chile, you could think that, you know, it gets a little bit of, of traction with elections uh, elsewhere in the world, but it's really about national issues. Now the right to traction with immigration, with, uh, you know, uh, crime, and this is really what's driving the, the you know order, because we had very very turbulent two years, very turbulent, and in the end, you know, people, not just the right, but many people want order, they want some peace after you know pandemics, etc. So uh, they have played this communist card, this you know revolt card. You know, they will burn everything, they will tear the country down. They will, they want to change the flag, the anthem you know, the name of the country, they want the country in ruins. And they have the images of the, the burning of the metro stations that we still don't know who who burned them after two years. Uh so I mean they're playing this part and, 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 and I really think this is one of the reasons why, you know, it's so difficult for Boris to, to also to take this election. Because I mean he's 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 stuck in between these two sides. If he gets to you know, let's let's uh uh, uh, too much into the revolt mode, then he gets punished by all these people saying, hey, we don't want revolt anymore. We're small businesses. It's not that we're big businesses. We want some, you know, peace. We don't want people looting our small shops. If he we, if we goes, you know, against that, he gets uh, from the left side, you know, oh, you're not really into the demonstrations and the revolt. You're just a centrist. You're a bourgeois. Uh, liberal, you know, so it's really a bit fun.
8: All right. So uh, before we wrap up, oh, we have uh, one uh, question uh, from the audience.
1: Can I just say yes. something, really? Uh, quick. Course, I completely course, yeah. disagree with Boris, what he's saying. Uh, I don't see a very bright future, so what if there's a, a, you know, a leader of the constitutional conventions in Mapuche? You know, not all Mapuche people are going to recognize uh, an institution that's in a state that they don't recognise so that's one thing, not all Mapuche people even recognise the existence of Chile and secondly the violence towards Mapuche people is not going to change whether there is you know <laughs> I'm a Mapuche president we had the, one of the uh, executives from a top bank taking pictures of one of the members of the convention going look at this dirty Indian she thinks, you know, I don't want to sit next to her and, and he never got reprimanded or lost his job. So things are not getting better at all. And I think that everything that's happening right now is the failure of all of the governments that um, from the start of democracy failed to address all of the human rights issues because of a pact of silence. All those people in those top jobs, in those paper companies and the forestry have something to do with the dictatorship most of them are genocidas nobody has ever addressed this issue we've got 4,000 disappeared people still in the ground rotting and yet they want to build a new Chile and they're talking about communism Chileans wouldn't know what communism was if it came and punched them in the head in the middle of the night they never had communism you know, uh, Salvador Allende was a social democrat he wasn't even that radical so it's all a bullshit narrative it's a complete bullshit narrative
8: thank you, thank you um uh so very, very quickly uh one question from the audience uh I'll i I'll I'll let, I'll let you guys fight over it uh so how much pressure from outside of Chile are you able to see whether uh the OAS the World Bank regional actors uh United States uh maybe Canadian mining companies uh that's from uh Joe in Norway if that question comes Who is it directed to I, uh, I'll let you guys fight over it. First come, first serve. <laughs> We've got a couple minutes left, so make it quick.
1: Well, I doubt that
9: there's a lot of – I mean, there's always pressure um, and support for, uh, for example, the right wing or the left wing from certain international factors. Um, the times uh, have changed in the sense that I don't see uh, – for, for example, the World Bank played a big role in the in the – the fact that the Chile got incredibly poor before the coup. I mean, it basically helped Chile go bankrupt so that people would go protest against the end the government. Um, those things I don't see happen at the moment because times have completely changed. Um, but, of course, there will always be some pressure. And at the moment, in the, like you said, the dystopian scenario, Chile would ever get a communist president. Yeah, definitely you would get, from the united states from mining companies from everyone um this huge uh, backlash but at the end and that's the problem with basically all Latin American countries or any country in the world is the money that matters i mean look at Peru the Peruvian president uh, was very strong against mining companies and basically the first thing he did basically the first thing Castillo said is that he would not touch the mining companies at all and this happens in so many countries so what one says and what one does is a completely diff- big difference, and that's why I think you can have maybe some pressure, but in the end, what, even if a communist party uh, president uh, gets elected in Chile, the system won't change that much because it's so deeply embedded in the not only in the in the in the country itself, in the heads of people, in the mentality. People have just so neoliberal mentality here in Chile that to change that. We need to change the entire world, and that's just not going to happen.
8: Well, thank you. Thank you very much uh, for uh, all the information, all the opinions. This has been absolutely amazing. Carol, thank you very much. You're in the UK right now, so you stayed up very late. I appreciate that very much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, without getting drunk, honestly. I mean, I'm buying yes. for drink.
8: <laughs> so you, you can follow uh, uh, Carol at uh, Chile Dissident on Twitter. Uh, check out uh, the Chile Solidarity, Solidarity Network online. Uh, Boris Vandersteck, uh, you can follow him at Boris Vandersteck on Twitter. Check out uh, Chile Today at uh, www.chiletoday.cl and uh, Aldo Madarriaga thank you so much for coming by I would love to talk to you about your book sometime but I'm going to read it first Good. Good. <laughs> um, I, you I think you talked about that on the dig though didn't you? yeah Good. so ch- check out the, the, the dig podcast from ch- from Jacobin uh, to hear Aldo talk about his book because we're not going to do it tonight uh, you can follow him at Aldo Madarriaga uh, on Twitter thank you guys so much this has been a
0: pleasure Thank you all for doing this. Howie Klein is about to join us. I just wanted to thank everybody. And Davey Mammel, you are amazing. I got a great response to you. You're you're fantastic. And I want to thank all the guests. And I'm, I, once again, I'm sorry for keeping you waiting. We had uh, we were running behind schedule. I know Carol is in London, England. So I'm sorry about that. Who who was that jet guy anyway? Judd Apatow to direct that to direct. OK, OK, <laughs> thank you, everybody.
1: Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Thank you.
0: Please come back. Please come back.
1: Definitely invite us.
0: You're invited. <laughs> let, let us Bye. now go to Los Angeles where Howie Klein is standing by. Howie Klein writes Down with Tyranny, which everybody should go to, downwithtyranny.com. He's also the founder and treasurer of the Blue America pack which raises money for progressive and more and more socialist candidates. Hello, Howie.
9: Hi, how are you doing, Dave?